Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You got to start back in the offseason and, you know, there was some opportunities that in hindsight we wish we would have done. That was president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak, who spoke with Martin Kilcoin on Fox 2 yesterday after the All-Star game. And alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Welcome into BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Lots to unpack, and it has nothing to do with the All-Star game. Fun night of All-Star game, but let's be real. Anybody in St. Louis who was watching the All-Star game? Was it fun, though? Okay. <laughs> kind of reminder of what you could have had. No, I mean, it's kind of also just boring. Kind of like, kind of, uh, no, I had fun watching the All-Star game. Just, but no. I did feel like I was like watching my ex really get along with someone, you know, that she cheated on me with. What made it worse, when uh, Adolis Garcia made a big play or when Randy Rosarena made a big play? How about when Sean Murphy threw out a base runner? Well, and then that, Zach Allen had a shutout inning. Well, that none of that was ever going to come to fruition, T-Bone, because they never were going to trade for Sean Murphy and Zach Allen was never going to be an ace here in St. Oh. Louis. I know, you know, our, our segment here is our biggest takeaway from uh, most comments last night. You know, that comment right there that we just returned with kind of felt like one of those where it was like, man, kind of sounded well, like he was regretting Contreras' well, deal. Let's let's unpack all of this because Mo had a lot to say. And what I meant by not a whole lot of people were watching for the All-Star game in Fox 2 because they were anticipating what John Mozeliak was going to say to Martin Kilcoin about this season. Was he going to say and seem optimistic like what Katie Wu had told us that they're not sold on being sellers? Or was he just going to blast this team and make it very clear that this is a lost season? I'd say he was somewhat in between, but leaning more towards the, look, this is a bad year. We've made mistakes and now we're moving forward. But that cut is what I want to start with. And we're going to unpack it all. But you started off the interview by saying, yeah, looking back on uh, what we did in the offseason, there's some things we probably would have done differently. Like, let's all be honest. We know what he's speaking about, right? Is he really throwing Wilson Contreras under the bus bus here? Because to me, when he said that, my first reaction was, oh, okay, so they wish they would have traded for Sean Murphy. Rightfully so. Sean Murphy's an all-star. Sean Murphy's providing offense. And let's be honest, his defense is better than Wilson Contreras. But that was how he started it by saying that, yeah, there's some things when we look back, we wish we would have done differently. Whereas a month or two ago, when he spoke with Katie Wu on The Athletic, he talked about how hindsight isn't always the best way to go about it. 
But now when this is staring at you in the face for how bad this season is, and it might be historically bad for the franchise, John Mozeliak seems to finally be admitting that, yeah, they probably made a couple of decisions in the offseason that could have impacted this team for the better that they didn't go with. Yeah, I think that comment was kind of twofold. And I think, number one, I don't think it was... I don't think the number one point of that comment was at Contreras. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think the number one point of that was, look, we didn't address the pitching like we should have in the offseason. We didn't add enough like we should have. We didn't have the depth that we thought we did. And I think also it was kind of tied into of yeah, all those what-ifs that we had coming into the season. What if the outfield? What if the pitching? What if the bullpen? All have gone wrong. So I, I think that's the number one thing that he was looking at was, yeah, we probably went into this season with way too many what-ifs. But... I think the second point on that is I do think that there is somewhat to your point, him kind of hinting at, you know what? We may have been wrong on this Contreras deal. And look, that's speculation on our part. That That's not what Mo said. Maybe, maybe he'll come out later on in like a month and continue to defend Wilson Contreras in that deal. But man, that comment definitely felt like something where it was like, yeah, okay, maybe we made a mistake deciding to go with the offensive-minded catcher and not being willing to part with some assets to go get Sean Murphy. And again, I don't think if this team had Sean Murphy, we're talking about a playoff contender right now. I think their pitching was too bad to begin with, and that's why I start with the what-ifs in the rotation. Here's why I, I leaned more towards the Wilson Contreras over the pitching, because after he made that statement of looking back on the offseason, there's some things we probably wish we would have done differently. He then talked about this when it came to not adding pitching in the offseason. Well, a couple of reasons. Um, some of the pitchers that we did chase, we just weren't able to to get done. And then the other was we really wanted to give some of these guys an opportunity. And, you know, when, you, when you're trying to give your internal guys a, that first shot, um, I think the hindsight is, is probably should have had some depth, though, to cover for. This is the part, too, that was frustrating to hear. Because we've gotten two different messages on this front. Because earlier it was, well, we weren't going actively after any pitchers in the market. Once they had six starting pitchers. And then it becomes, well, we couldn't get guys to agree to a deal to come to St. Louis. Mostly because you had a pretty filled rotation. Regardless of what that is, what Mo said there at the end was, we probably should have gotten more depth. The internal options you were going with, it's not like you're giving guys opportunities that you are trying to find out who they are. All five of the guys in your rotation, you know exactly who they are, and frankly, it made sense that you were going with them. The internal options and the depth that he's talking about, that's been three guys. It's been the same three guys all season. Matthew Liebertor, Dakota Hudson, and Jake Woodford. And Dakota Hudson's been a very small sample size. So on that pitching aspect of it, yeah, I mean, we've discussed this. Sure, you could have been more aggressive this offseason, but none of the guys in free agency would have made this season any different. And frankly, if you're going to be upset, it's more about the lack of trades for pitching in the offseason than what it is of not signing somebody in the offseason. Yeah, I, I, and honestly, I think the guy that they were even interested in, that name that they throw around there, and we've talked about this, I think it's just Jose Quintana. I think they wanted to bring back Quintana. They didn't want to give him the deal that he ended up getting, which was, I think, 2 by 26 with the Mets, if I remember correctly. And as you said, they, they basically had a rotation kind of filled out already, so it was tough to look at that spot. But the giving opportunities to guys, they didn't pl- – I don't think they planned on that. I mean, in the bullpen, I think that's the case. Maybe that's what he was referring to was we were in on some arms in the bullpen. But I, I just don't see who the opportunity was they were looking for. Libertor was more depth. Woodford was more depth. And Woodford was only in the rotation because of the Adam Wainwright injury at the WBC. So 
the continued backtracking of from we weren't in on the we have our starting rotation set to oh we were actually in on it it maybe it was just trying to like not hide his cards and kind of s- present this front of hey we believe in you guys early on in the year and then it was quickly like yeah well we were wrong on that on that <laughs> front but i i just don't understand where he was coming from in terms of where they were in terms of we were given opportunities to young guys because you weren't. You had your rotation set. Yeah. I, I can buy you weren't able to lure somebody here. I can get that. But you were going after somebody to be in your rotation. You were going to go after guys for the depth role, right? Because going into the season, you knew it was Flaherty. It was Michaelis. It was Montgomery. It was Mats, And you opted to bring back Adam Wainwright. Who were you going after that, were going to, that was going to overtake one of those five men's spots. Maybe I could hear the argument of not being 100% sold on Steven Matz for how last season went, but it it sure seems like that they were going to continue with Steven Matz in that rotation. So if you were going to go down the depth route, that's where I can understand where he's coming from. I, I think the part that maybe he's referring to is they should have began the year with the six-man rotation or or along the lines of to that first comment we had about missteps in the offseason. Maybe it was the bringing back of Adam Wainwright. Yeah. And maybe that is maybe not so much in terms of signing him to another contract as so much as what I've seen the many complaints and fair complaints are of giving him $17.5 million to come back for next year. So, And I think that's maybe the conversation of if you were going to add depth to the rotation, maybe it is bringing in somebody to where you can sell them on, hey, we're going to go to a six-man rotation. We we refer to the Rangers all the time as being a team that, hey, that's what the Cardinals should emulate going into the season. Well, that's what they did. They started the season off with a six-man rotation, and they spent a ton of money to go to that rotation. So maybe that's what he's referring to was there was some ideology from the front office of let's go to a six-man rotation but it's hard to sell guys on that because again i'm not i'm not questioning whether or not they had trouble luring someone to st louis i think that's the case when you have a five-man rotation like they did with veterans but where i think they made the mistake was they couldn't find any depth pieces to be brought in in terms of be a long man in the bullpen or go sign someone to like a minor league deal that can potentially help you in the rotation. So I I think that was where he's saying their mistake was. Well, and then the biggest comment I thought from John Mozalock speaking and look, there's it's to be determined on what the biggest is because he had a lot and we'll unpack it all day today, but he talked about what the plan is at the deadline for the Cardinals. We're not necessarily like waving the white flag, but all decisions or all moves we do really will try to set us up for next year. So... (laughs) When I heard that, that might be where Katie was talking about to the point of, look, they're not sold on selling off pieces, but not waving the white flag, but setting yourself up for 2024 to me says, yeah, we'll return from the all-star break and try and make some type of push with the roster that we have in place. But as soon as August 1st comes around, the moves that we make are fixing this rotation and bullpen for next year rather than just selling off pieces for assets. At least that's my takeaway on that one. Yeah, my takeaway on it was I I think they are selling off pieces at the deadline, and I I think the reason is is because he said any trade we make is tell us in 2024. Well, we can all agree a Montgomery, Jack Flaherty trade, Jordan Hicks trade would help the team for 2024. I also think, too, what he's referring to is – they could potentially be somewhat buyers. And when I say buyers, I mean looking for a cost-controlled pitcher that can help them in 2024. So I, I think that's what he was referring to. I think a lot of people are going to focus on the comment of we're not we're not punting on 2023. I think that's just kind of one of those, like, not, I don't know what the word is used here, but it's one of those where it's like, yeah, I kind of have to say this so that 
we can at least try and continue to sell that we're being competitive right. and keep the fans coming out to the ballpark because you don't want to hear a GM ever go, yeah, we're not even trying anymore. Yeah. And, and that's that's what I think that comment was. And I think he admitted, like, hey, we are where we are, where we are and we're going to be sellers probably at this deadline, and we're also looking to improve in 2024. And, and if you have any optimism with John Mozalak, which that's what we want to hear from you on today, you can send us mic drops on the 101 ESPN app. Um, do you have faith in John Mozalak? turning this around because we also heard after the Mo interview on Fox 2 that Martin Kilcoin, who did the interview said that he talked with Bill DeWitt Jr. that stated Mo will fulfill his contract with the team. So this inside of people thinking that he might be gone after the season, it's not true. At least according to Bill DeWitt Jr. who spoke with Martin Kilcoin that he's going to be here beyond this season to fulfill that contract. So do you believe that John Mozeliak and do you have faith that John Mozeliak can turned this thing around as he spoke to Martin Kilcoin yesterday. And one more thing on this one, T-Bone, before we get to the other side, and John Denton's going to join us at 1130 to unpack a little bit more of this, is the Nolan Arenado aspect of it. And the only reason we're bringing this up is because John Heyman had a piece on the New York Post talking about um, Nolan Arenado could potentially be traded away. And to me, I was like, okay, worth clicking. Welcome to clickbait because I clicked on it. And Nolan Arenado essentially with John Heyman's reporting was, yeah, if they talk to me about being traded, I'm prepared for it because anything can happen in baseball. But this was never going to be a thing. Nolan Arenado said it to Derek Gould following that question at the media scrum at all-star break. D- Derek Gould asked him, do you plan on being in St. Louis? And he said, yes, I love St. Louis. My family loves St. Louis. So this is just a non-starter for me. Now, maybe things change as you go into August 1st trade deadline and in the offseason, unless the blueprint is in place for him. But it's, it seems like this is a non-starter in terms of people bringing up the topic of trading away Nolan Arenado. Yeah, and I want to play Arenado's comments here. And this was him speaking at the All-Star Game media availability on, I believe this was Tuesday or Monday, I believe. Yeah, Monday. And when he was asked the question of, if he hopes to stay with the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, I mean, I opted in for a reason, right? So, you know, there's a reason why I opted in. And, uh, you know, if I didn't feel that way, I definitely wouldn't have done that. So to see it through the years here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I I don't know how this goes. It's a business. I don't know how it goes. But, you know, know, there's a reason why I opted in. I do love St. Louis. My family loves it. So we just want to turn it around. Yeah, right there. There's a reason I opted in, and I plan. My family loves it here in St. Louis. He's not going. He's not the reason he's going to be going anywhere. If he does go anywhere, it would be a Mo decision, not a R and decision. Mo's not making that decision. Yeah, exactly. So the whole like, oh, he's preparing to be traded. No, he's not. He's basically all he said there was. Look, if I got traded, it would be a business decision from the front office and John Mozeliak. I'm not the one that says, I want out of here. He basically just confirmed, I'm not requesting a trade. I love it here in St. Louis. So don't look at me if I ended up getting dealt. And again, he's not going to get dealt. They're not going to sell Nolan Arenado, and they're not selling Goldschmidt. Nice try, 314. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I look at that, and I saw that comment, and I went, okay. That, that's what I kind of thought was he, he wasn't going to want out of St. Louis and I was glad to hear him make those comments at the All-Star Game when he was asked by Derek Gould. Basically, your rule of thumb today, what you learned on BK and Ferrario, don't click on clickbait because that's what that will do to you. Yeah, we should have a little session. I mean, there's nothing going on tomorrow. We're, we're the firewall session. for people to yeah. make sure that they don't get clickbait. How to recognize clickbait 101. <laughs> How to cl- recognize on clickbait 101 ESPN. on 101 ESPN. Again, we got plenty more to unpack with John Mazalek's comments from yesterday. John Denton is going to help us do that coming up at 1130. But coming up next... We got some breaking news earlier this morning that's surrounding the St. Louis Blues. And boy, I can't wait to see that sun for the upcoming hockey season. We'll get to that next year on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, Oscar Sunquist officially back with the St. Louis Blues. Welcome into BK and Ferrario here at 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis, Alex Ferrario with you. We're live on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Just click on that BK and Ferrario link and make sure you leave us your mic drops if you believe John Mozalock and have faith John Mozalock can turn this thing back around. More on that in just a bit. But earlier today, we found out that the Ferrario 5 hit once again. One, because the guy that I mentioned, number one on my list, signed elsewhere like 30 minutes after I said it. Thanks a lot, Barry Trotz. But then today we find out that Oscar Sundquist signs a one-year deal worth basically the league minimum, $775,000, to return to the St. Louis Blues. And frankly, this is a good decision by St. Louis. I didn't think it was going to get done once they signed Mackenzie McEachern. McEachern, to me, was the Sundquist deal. And when it didn't happen, I'm thinking, okay, well, they're opting McEachern. They're obviously going to give a lot of opportunities to these Alexandrovs and Zachary Deans for the fourth line. Now that you brought in Oscar Sundquist, that all changed. You're bringing in a veteran. You're bringing in somebody who kind of on a prove-it deal, I guess, especially with the cap going up next year. And obviously, he didn't get the deal that he thought he was going to get. Had a decent season last year with Detroit. Really good short sample size with the Minnesota Wild but then was injured in the postseason and only played one game. But Oscar Sundquist, he brings the ability to anchor that fourth line for the Blues. He brings a little bit of offense, and he brings familiarity for the St. Louis Blues team. And if you missed it earlier today, Craig Berube was on with Chris Kerber, who was filling in for Tim McKernan on the balloon party. And this is what Chief had to say when he found out that Sonny was back. Sonny's been a real good player for us. He Obviously, had some injuries with his knee um, that took some time to recover from. But he's feeling good. His knees are feeling good. So I'm excited to have the guy back. I really enjoyed coaching him. He brings a personality, brings that gamesmanship on the ice. He plays a hard game every night, which is important. Uh, he leads the way that way. So Oscar's a very well-liked guy on our team with our with the players. Uh, coaches, management, so we're excited. What he said there in the middle T-bone is what I want to hone in on, him talking about how hard of a worker he is and sets the tone for a team. To me, the signing of Oscar Sundquist, it's not like this earth-shattering move. It's not a blockbuster thing for St. Louis, but you're bringing in maturity. And what's the one thing Doug Armstrong talked about that they didn't have last year? Maturity. Now you've added a 10-year vet in Kevin Hayes. You've added the veteran who's played with the Blues and won a Stanley Cup. You're adding more personality and leadership back into that locker room, which is what they need for a lot of these younger guys. Yeah, it's Army filling that void of that leadership that he was talking about in the offseason about what they needed. So I, I really like this deal for Oscar Sundquist on a one-year deal, add him to the fourth line. And we talked about this, I can't remember if it was yesterday or it was last week, where we said, you know, when you look at the fourth line, there's not a lot of guys that you can look at and say, okay, I think I know what we're going to get. We think he's a reliable fourth liner. Torpchenko is really the only guy that kind of fit that role, and he's still waiting on his RFA status to be signed. Uh, but now you add another one in that in Oscar Sundquist, where you know what you're going to get from him, and the fact that he's already been on the team before, he knows all the guys, he's he's close friends with most of them. I mean, he was just at Jordan Biddington's wedding uh, in the photo that I saw. So 
as Craig Bruby said, very well liked in that locker room. And you're bringing in a guy that has experience, and not only just experience, but winning experience as well and winning mm-hmm. a cup. And, and I think that's something that as the Blues get younger, they needed a little bit more of that. And, and that's why I really like this deal because I think you're right. I think the main reason, yeah, you're, you're hoping for production on the fourth line, but the main reason I think is for that maturity and that leadership that will be in the locker room. Well, and on top of that, too, you're getting all of that that you just mentioned for $775,000 league yeah. minimum. That's a steal. Like, Oscar Sundquist could have gone on the market. Obviously, we don't know what else he was getting in terms of offers, but if I were to guess, I'd say that he could have probably got a million dollars, the Nolachari deal from last season. You would imagine, but I I mean, if you think of his suitors, I mean, Minnesota wasn't going back there because they acquired Pat Maroon. Um, Toronto needs fourth-line guys. They got Max Domi and a couple of others, like... I guess it came down to, Sonny, do you want to go somewhere and not be competitive and get the money, or do you want to go somewhere and compete that you're familiar with? And I think that's what it fell into with the St. Louis Blues versus maybe you're going to get a million dollars, but because the cap is so tight this season, this is these are the types of players that are impacted by that cap being, being hamstrung because of the pandemic. Then next year when it goes up 4 to $5 million, if you have a good season, these are the guys that get paid a little bit more. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and I think when he looks at it here in St. Louis, we talk about it all the time, where's your stuff at? And we know his stuff is here in St. Louis. So as, as you said, wants to kind of remain in this area. I, I am, I'm excited to see what he's going to bring to that fourth line because it's going to add more physicality to that line. And that's what we talked about uh, yesterday in your Ferrari 05 was looking for a guy. Do you want someone that can score, which was like kind of your number one guy? Um, who's Gurionov. Gurionov, thank yeah, you. Thanks a lot, Trots. He, uh, he was a guy that I looked at as more as kind of like a – quote-unquote, scoring fourth-liner, yeah. not so much a throw-the-body-around. And as we know, Sunquist will throw the body around. Yeah. So I, I think this was kind of what they were looking for when they were looking to bring in fourth-line depth was a guy that's going to be willing to go in there, get on the forward check, and, man, if there's anything, like, as much as we hear Ali Marmol preach about how much he loves swing and miss stuff, man, Craig Ruby loves a guy that's going to yeah. get in on the forward check. I can't tell you how many times we heard him preach about that last season. Well, and from the 6-1, he asked a really good question, or she asked a really good question. I don't understand if you're not in win-now mode, why would you sign this guy for the league minimum? Isn't it time to find out what the young guys can do? Absolutely. And that's why I was surprised that Sonny was coming back because it does seem like they want Alexandrov to play and if Zach Dean performs well. But you know what they're really doing with the Oscar Sundquist? You're bringing in internal competition to play on the fourth line. Now you've got Toropchenko, you've got Blay, you've got Sundquist, you've got McEachern, you've got Dean, you've got Alexandrov, you've got Nathan Walker. All of these guys are competing for three spots, which is a good thing. But you know what it also is doing? Out of those seven names that I just said, if I were to ask you who are you most confident in in terms of their defensive performance, I'm not. Sonny would be the top of that list, right? Yeah. And defense on the fourth line, maybe not so much defense, but responsibility on the fourth line is going to be key for Craig Berube, especially if Torepchenko's playing one side and you've got younger guys on the other. And if you don't believe me, here's what Chief had to tell Craig or. Here's what Craig Berube had to tell Chris Kerber about that defensive side of the forward position. Well, I think the forwards are a big part of it. You know, you need everybody on the ice to do the job defensively. It's not just the D. It, you know, too much, in my opinion, was put on the defense core, and that's not fair. Um, you know, the forwards are just as much to blame. They're just as much to, you know, that they have to help out. That's what you brought in Oscar Sundquist for. You brought in Oscar Sundquist to be the main cog in that fourth line in terms of responsibility on the ice to work with the Alexandrovs and work with the Deans and work with the Torobchenkos so that next season they can be the Oscar Sundquist for your fourth line. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think he was brought in to play, play a more defensive-minded game on that fourth line. And as you said, you asked the question of who would you say would you trust most. Sunquist is definitely that guy. Now, to this texture's question about, you know, why bring him in over playing the the kids, I think it's clear the Blues don't think the kids are ready or they just don't have enough uh I think they need somebody with them. them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think it I don't think it's and like if, if it ends up working out and maybe one of the kids does take off and you start to like maybe it's Alexandrov becomes a guy that you look at and go, hey he's been playing really well. Maybe we can start playing him more as a regular in the fourth line. Then maybe you look at moving Sonny at the deadline. Like a one year deal like this, there will be some teams that will look at Sunquist and say, you know what, he's on a league minimum deal. Blues are out of it. Maybe we go add him to our fourth line. So yeah. I, I think it's kind of twofold. It's one, helping the team right now, but also it could be, hey, if things don't go right, then Oscar Sunquist can potentially be a trade chip as well. Well, and the other thing it does too, and Craig Bruby mentioned this on that interview with Chris Kerber, just the camaraderie in the locker room, which is huge. And a lot of times last season when things were down for the Blues, they couldn't get out of that. And we saw what happened when Oscar Sundquist got traded for Nick Letty at the deadline a couple of years ago. And guys the were whole crying team on was, the team plane. They were so down about it. So this is such a breath of fresh air for that locker room and a familiar face coming in. And it's just going to uplift everybody similar to Kevin Hayes too, but this even more so because it is a familiar face that a lot of those players know and love. Yeah. And the one thing that is good to have when you have younger players who are trying to crack the lineup are veteran players who can take that spot if it doesn't go well for them. That's why they carry typically two or three extra forwards in a season because injuries and because sometimes guys need the learning experience to sit in the press box. Oscar Sundquist, if you missed it, that's the news of the day. Signs a one-year deal with league minimum with the St. Louis Blues. Coming up next, back to the Cardinals. John Denton, MLB.com, our Cardinals insider, is going to join us to talk about the All-Star break, to talk about the Cardinals draft, and of course, of course, John Mazalek's comments yesterday to Martin Kilcoin. All next on BK and Ferrari on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So we got our YouTube poll of the day for BK and Ferrario live. Do you have faith in John Mozeliak turning the team around for next season? So head over to our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Click on that BK and Ferrario link, and then you could vote on that poll and send us your mic drops via the 101 ESPN app. If you have faith in John Mozeliak turning this thing around. Now we're going to welcome in our Cardinals insider for MLB.com. He is John Denton, who just wrapped up the Major League Baseball draft for the Cardinals, and now it's the All-Star break. And John, I'm assuming you're on the beach somewhere with a Mai Tai in hand, right? Man, I wish I was, but uh, like you said, the draft just wrapped up. I'm actually 
sitting in my recliner watching Wimbledon. So yeah. it's not too bad. I wish I was on a beach, but uh, Wimbledon's not a bad second choice. You know what you do then, John? You just put on a picture of a beach on the television. You get a Hawaiian shirt out, and you just sit in that <laughs> recliner for the rest of the day and treat it like the beach, my man, because you've been working so hard during this Cardinal season. And let's start with the draft, John. You've had phenomenal coverage of the 20 rounds for the Cardinals. And for those that may have missed it, it wrapped yesterday where they took nine pitchers, five outfielders, two shortstops, a first baseman, a third baseman, and a catcher. Your thoughts on the Cardinals' overall draft, John? Yeah, you know, I think it was a, I think it was a good draft for the Cardinals. They didn't have a second-round pick. I think they had the third-lowest uh, bonus pool. So that kind of limited what they what they could do. So they focused mainly on, on on college players and signability, guys that they knew they could lock up. And, you know, getting Chase Davis in the first round was a steal for the Cardinals. It, it looks like, I mean, the kid put up incredible numbers. His, senior, his junior year at Arizona lowered his strikeout numbers. His power numbers are off the charts. He was a guy that they considered back in 2020. Uh, you know, everybody will remember they got three high school players out of that draft. Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, Tink Hentz. He was the one that they were thinking about drafting back then, but the draft was cut to four, five rounds because of uh, COVID. Uh, but but the kid has potential star written all over him. Uh, you know they 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 got some good good picks in there. The left hander uh, out of Stanford, Quinn Matthews. He's the guy who threw 156 pitches in a game, which I, I know everybody uh, everybody's eyes uh, almost popped out of their heads when they saw that. But he's a kid who can really pitch and. You know, with uh, with the final pick of the day for the Cardinals, they they took the big kid out of IMG, uh, Cameron Johnson. They have no shot of signing him, but you know what the heck, they're going to give it a shot. With the 605th pick, uh, you just kind of throw it out there and and try to get a guy. So all in all, I think it was a good a good draft for the Cardinals. John, is there anything to kind of read into by them selecting with 14 of their 19 picks, nine pitchers, and five outfielders? Is there anything to read into that of just how they kind of look at their system as where they are with pitchers and outfielders right now? Yeah, you know, when it started off the second day, when they were up to four outfielders, I think it was by the second day, part of me was thinking, okay, you know, this means the big club's probably going to look to deal an outfielder. And, I, you know, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. I don't think that's breaking news. Like, we all know they have too many outfielders. They have a glut of outfielders. Uh, there's, some of those guys will probably get moved at the deadline. Uh, you know, that, that, that's where they're kind of dealing from a position of strength. So maybe, you know, use the draft to kind of restock your pool. If you're going to move some of those guys at the deadline, uh, you know, I, I know teams don't like to give away tails. But I think, if, if anything, that might have been a tell that, hey, they're getting ready to deal a couple of outfielders, so maybe you load up on outfielders in the draft. Well, that's interesting. John, when you mentioned that about potentially trading outfielders, do you think that just means like guys like uh, potentially Carlson, uh, Tyler O'Neill, or, or could it even possibly mean like some of the guys that have like high upside like they talked about Lars Newpar in the offseason? Yeah, you know, I, I think I think any of those names are, are up for grabs. Uh, you know, I think we all know Tyler O'Neill probably needs a fresh start. Tyler O'Neill probably thinks that, uh, you know, Dylan Carlson's a guy that they would look to deal now. I don't think they would deal Jordan Walker under any circumstances. But, uh, you know, those, those are guys who they definitely could look to deal. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're going to listen to everything, uh, you know, but, you have to remember, like, you know, people are very angry now, and naturally so, that, that Randy Arozarena plays elsewhere, Adolis Garcia play elsewhere. Uh, you know, at, at the time when the Cardinals traded those guys, they had Harrison Bader rated higher. They had Tyler O'Neill rated higher. Uh, you know, you give these guys away, and if you give Dylan Carlson away, and he goes to Kansas City and hits 30 home runs, people are going to be angry. So, 
you know, there's a give and take when you start trading guys. We're talking with John Denton, Cardinals insider for MLB.com with us on BK and Ferrario. John, we heard both a Rosarena and Garcia during that all-star media availability speak about opportunities that they were given when they got to their new teams with Tampa and Texas. And, you know, when Cardinals fans look at those deals, they look at it and say, yeah, Rosarena and Garcia really never got the opportunity to show who they were in St. Louis. Is that the same case for guys in their outfield now if they do opt to trade them by August 1st? Yeah, that, you know, that totally could be the case, you know, if if if, if a guy like uh, Dylan Carlson goes to somewhere and and takes off, you know, he could always point to, well, I never got a consistent chance in St. Louis because, you know, he was put in and out of the lineup, he was moved from center field to right field, blah blah blah, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, that that could, you could totally see that happening. Uh, you know, but Cardinal fans have to understand when you're trying to win, you have to play the best guys at that time. You can't play the guy who you think may be better in five years. Now, the Cardinals are kind of doing that with Jordan Walker now where they know he's going to be great. Uh, is he great right now? Uh, no, he's, you know, defensively he's struggling, but they know he's going to be great. But with, with Ro- Rosarina and Adolis Garcia, at the time, they weren't the best options out there. And they went somewhere, that, a place that was building, and that allowed them to play more, and that allowed them to blossom in the stars. You know, we all know that that all-star game was a nightmare for the Cardinals, having to watch Zach Gallen, having to watch uh, Adoles Garcia and Randy Rosarina almost win the home run contest. Uh, but at the time, they had players ranked higher than them, and they were trying to win. They went to places where they could play that were rebuilding. John, last night, John Mozeliak spoke to the media, to, spoke to Fox too, and he made an interesting comment in terms of saying, "We aren't waving the flag on this season, but trades are with the intention of 2024." Do you, Do you think he was saying right there that they are probably sellers at the deadline, but they are also looking to be buyers as well, maybe looking for pitching depth for next season? Yeah, that was a that was a good get by by Martin uh, Kilcoy. That was that was a tremendous interview. Uh, that was a, a very humble mo. That was a, a mo that admitted that mistakes were made. That uh, looking back, he would have done things differently. It was very, very insightful. Uh, you know, we talked to him in in London a couple of weeks earlier. I asked him. I said, "Are you allowed to rebuild in St. Louis?" And he told me, "I hope I'm never in a position to rebuild." It seems like now that that position has changed. And you know, while while they may be sellers at the deadline, I don't think it's going to be a fire sale. I think it's going to be small tinkers here and there. Maybe you see what you can get for for an upcoming free agent like Jordan Montgomery, uh, but I don't think it's going to be like a trade off Paul Goldschmidt type of thing. Uh, it, th- this is a franchise that expects to win every year. They're not doing it this year, but they're going to go into next season expecting to win. They're they're not going to blow this thing up. If they make trades, I think it'll be small trades. John, you mentioned Mo's comment in terms of looking back on the off season and and some of the decisions that they made or didn't make. Is it fair for me to wonder if he was possibly even referring to the Wilson Contreras signing, or do you think he was just talking about the moves that just weren't made in terms of them adding pitching? I think it was more pitching. I think they were determined to to get a catcher. You know, they they knew they had to go into the the season with a catcher. They tried hard to get uh, Sean Murphy, but they were not going to give up Nolan Gorman and Lars Newtbar, you know, and Brendan Donovan. They were not going to give up those kind of players altogether to get a catcher. Uh, now, Sean Murphy's had an incredible season. He's a great player on a great Braves team, which is really saying something. Uh, but they, they just did not want to give up those guys. So they, they went and got Wilson Contreras. And, you know, Contreras is starting to hit the ball now. 
Uh, Cardinal fans need to know that, that Wilson Contreras cares. He's a guy who wants to win every day. Uh, so, so that one's going to come back around. That that Contreras trade will look better. I think it's pitching. Uh, you know, we all knew they knew they needed pitching. John Mazalek knew they needed pitching. But this ownership's never going to spend thirty-five, forty million dollars a year on a pitcher. They're just not going to be in the Scherzer market. They're not going to be in the the Verlander market. They're not going to give Carlos Rodon two hundred million dollars. Um, you know, so so Mo was in a little bit of a tough spot there. But looking back, you could have gotten an Andrew Chafin for the bullpen. You could have bulked up the bullpen a little better. You could have brought in a little more experience in the bullpen. I, I think that's where he looks back and has second thoughts. John, do you think that that thought process from John Mozeliak and that the Cardinals won't be big spenders changes this offseason now that this season could be historically bad? Yeah, I think they've got to look at their model. I think they have to realize that, you know, this game is all about pitching. And the NFL, if you don't have a quarterback, you don't matter. In the NBA, if you don't have a point guard, you don't matter. In, in baseball, if you don't have pitching, you don't matter. You know, you can't seriously contend without high-level pitching. And pitching is very expensive. It's expensive in free agency. It's expensive in trades. You know, you're going to have to be willing to give up some talent to trade for a pitcher. You're not going to trade one one of your slugs for a pitcher. You're going to have to trade some of your best prospects for pitching. I really think they're going to have to reevaluate their model and realize that without you know good, strong, consistent starting pitching, you can't. You're not a, a legitimate contender in baseball. Final one for John Denton so he can get back to his uh, vacation. We appreciate him joining us. John, uh, August 1st is still a ways away for this Cardinals team, but knowing what Mo said of, you know, the, the eyes are on 2024 at that trade deadline, what would you deem a successful trade deadline for the Cardinals? Um, I think it would be, uh, you know, adding a, a pitching piece that you can count on going forward. You know, they don't want a guy, they're not trading for a one-year guy like Quintana last year. Uh, they want somebody that they can build around. Um, if you can, if you can somehow land that without giving up Nolan Gorman, if you can somehow land a, a, a starting pitcher that you can count on going in the, in the next season, uh, that that would be a success. If you can do it without giving up uh, Lars Newtbar, if you can do it without giving up Nolan Gorman, I think that would be a success. They're not going to blow this thing up. Yes, they may trade Jack Clarity. Yes, they may trade Jordan Montgomery. But they're not trading Paul Goldsmith. They're not trading Nolan Arenado. That, those those two things are just not going to happen. They're not going to blow this thing up. They're, they may make some small t- changes this year, but they're they're planning to try to win next season. John, bust out that uh, Jimmy Buffett Hawaiian shirt. Turn on some <laughs> Jimmy Buffett. Get a Mai Tai for yourself. You and your team have been incredible this uh, first half of the season, and we look forward to all of your coverage next uh, the second half. All right. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. You guys You guys take care. Have a good day. There you go. That's John Denton. Always appreciate him joining us here on BK and Ferrario at John Denton 555 on Twitter. And, of course, you follow his work at MLB.com covering the Cardinals. Man, look, I think John nailed the last two questions that you asked him there. I, I think he was spot on of, one, does this season change their model? And that's why I keep saying, like, I think they're going to be aggressive in the offseason. I understand where you always come from of, like, we haven't seen that, but we haven't seen them be historically bad like they are this year. And John said they're going to have to look at their model, which they even kind of referred to back in, I think it was winter warm-up, if I remember correctly. Mo or Bill DeWitt said something along the lines of, you know, we may need to, our model is going to be tested this year. And the test shows they failed. And the second part for me was what a successful deadline looks like. And he said a, 
a pitcher that's going to help them for next year. And, and I think he's right. I, I think they're going to be buying and selling. And when I say buying, it could be someone from Seattle that's more of like a number three starter that helps them not just this year, but helps them in 2024. I, I do think Newbar may be a guy that if John's right and he said they could be tipping their hand by drafting a bunch of outfielders, Newbar could be the piece that they decide that they're willing to try and part with and then piece together the outfield next season. Yep, we'll see. If you got questions for us from anything John mentioned or anything else, send them to us, 314-399-9646. That's our Air Comfort Service text line. Head over to our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN SDL. We'll get to questions and answers next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is our Air Comfort Service text line. You can also head over to our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Click on the BK and Ferrario stream and you can add your questions on our live chat and vote on our live poll, which we'll get to in the 12 o'clock hour. If you have faith in John Mosellock turning this thing around. Also, we want your mic drops on the 101 ESPN app. But alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Graham Francis, let's get to some questions and answers. From the 314, guys, what could you realistically get if you decided to trade Jordan Walker? Would it be a number one ace? Oh, I'll start this one off. You're not trading Jordan Walker. You Agreed, trade, but if, in the situation you do. What legit ace is out there that you would want to trade Jordan Walker for? And I've seen people bring up Sandy Alcantara. Guys, Sandy's not pitching like an ace right now. No, he's really struggling. Dylan Cease, albeit could be an ace, but that's not making my team better. Sure, if the Angels will take Jordan Walker for Shohei Otani, absolutely. But that's the only player worth me trading Jordan Walker for. So yeah, I wouldn't trade him for Otani because I don't think you would well, be able yeah, to resign him. You and him. I are different on that one. But it's not, no, it's not so much... I, I do like I think if you, if you trade for Otani, you're re-signing him, but you would re-sign him. I guess that's That's, that's where we're at with this. That's so what you're saying. There's just the ace that you're looking for is not going to come the other way in a Jordan Walker trade because that team is not willing to get rid of an ace, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like I, I do think a team would part with an ace potentially for Walker because you're talking about a guy that if he develops the way the Cardinals are talking about. Not an ace right now. Maybe they'd part with an ace that could be next year, but I'm not sure an ace. Like when you think of the aces around Major League Baseball, I don't know if those teams are going to be willing to give them up for Jordan Walker. I don't know. I Maybe you're right. I, I think if you had enough pitching depth, I think you could see a team that would be willing to do it because Walker's a guy that can develop into – a guy that's constantly hitting 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, and be hitting like 275. And someone from the 636 says we're putting too much value on Walker. I, sorry, <laughs> sir or madam, I don't think we are. I don't think we are. Um, I, If not for Corbin Carroll, people would be talking a lot more about Jordan yeah, Walker this season. Exactly. And if he didn't get demoted. Yeah, Mo. yeah if you kept him. Ollie. Oh, sorry. I, I, you know, I'll sting with the theme of like blaming Mo today. So, sorry, I read the room wrong. Mo, must go. Mo, must. <laughs> I've no, seen okay. a lot of that. But, yeah, don't worry. We'll get to that poll. But uh, I uh, I think they, I think you could possibly get an ace. I'm just having a tough time pinpointing who the name is that you could no. acquire. Because, like you said, Alconstra's really struggled. Aaron Nola would be a free agent to be. Uh, and he's kind of struggled this year. Maybe like a 
Zach Wheeler if the Phillies knew they were going to be able to re-sign uh, Aaron Nolan in the offseason. But I, I do think... So, so here's some could. names. Someone brought up Spencer Strider from Atlanta, Shane McClanahan from Tampa. Neither of those teams are trading those pitchers for Jordan Walker. Tampa might. He's not up to. He's not eligible to be paid yet, though. No, but do you have technically more control over uh, Walker than McClanahan, and their like their pitching is yeah. just loaded. Maybe, <laughs> like, uh, but like again, I. But how does that better your team? Like you get McClanahan, absolutely, but now you're taking out a bat that agreed. you're planning on being one and, of your pillars, and that's why you don't trade Jordan Walker. Yeah. But it is an interesting yeah. question of what could you get for him. I, I think Mc, I think you could get McClanahan for yeah. uh, Jordan Walker. Strider's interesting. They're kind of set in their outfield, so I don't know if Atlanta would do it. Uh, but he's the kind of. But those are the kind of names that Walker would at least yeah. force teams to think about. Uh, from the three one four guys, now with Sonny under contract, what do you realistically think the fourth line could look like this season? And does that make the Blues better? Um, I would say just guessing. My fourth line starting the season is Torpchenko, Sonny, and Belay. And then you're going to rotate in guys like Alexandrov, McEachern, and Nathan Walker. And I, I don't know if I don't know if that's going to make you that much closer to being a playoff team. I already think you're going to be in the contention for a playoff. Sunday doesn't really move the needle that much on it, but what it does move the needle on is it makes your penalty kill better. And your penalty kill improving means your record is going to improve, which means you're closer to a playoff spot. So yeah, I think Sunny helps in that conversation. Yeah, I. I think you're right in terms of what the fourth line will look like because I do think it'll be Blay, Sonny, and Torpchenko. And bringing in Sunquist definitely helps on the penalty kill because he's one of the best. Yep. Pen- he was one of the best penalty killers uh, on the Blues when he was here. So, and that was something that they desperately needed to address. They were, I think, third worst penalty kill in the NHL yep. uh, last season. So bringing him in definitely helps. And we didn't even talk about that when we were reacting to it because I was just focused on the fourth line. Of course, but he's going to have a major impact on that pk yeah uh final one from the 636 fellas if city wins or draws tonight do you think they win the western conference so right now they are three points up on seattle with one match in hand Where's you that see one? how i did match in hand there that, grant I'm thinking of good. that for you they're on top of the table right now that was good yeah, uh where, where's lafc in the standings I didn't, uh, third yeah i was gonna say i knew they're yeah. near the top they're five points behind you same amount of matches played um, I'll I'll say City's top of the table. Very good. You're welcome. I, I, Clean I, sheet. I'll say yes. I look. I, I still think they're one of the best teams Kits. in. Sorry. Okay, that's enough. I'm just coming we up with it, soccer man. terms. I we want people it. to know that I'm a soccer guy. You looked it up right now on your computer. We get it. Um, Grant's not impressed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think there's definitely a chance that if they win or draw tonight, that they can definitely kind of really be the favorites to win the Western Conference. Look, I had questions about the defense. Um, three weeks ago, I think I raised these questions, and since then, Yaros came in and has been in the, at the center back position and has really helped out that the defense for them. Jackson's played well in the midfield, and they're not even healthy yet. Like Klaus is still out. Once they get Klaus back, they're going to be better, and they can move a Denneran back to the bench and have him coming off the bench to help support them. So, I'll, I'll say yes. I mean, I, the fact that they've played so well. By getting guys like Yarrow and Jackson and Adenarin to step up while they've been dealing with injuries is really impressive. So I'll, I'll say yes. I think they're only going to get better from here. Yeah, and, they're going to have the classic Mo term of except it won't be trade to be more transfer. Um, 
but we don't need to get a transfer because getting Klaus back is like adding a transfer. They're not even called trades anymore in ho- in soccer? They've never been called trades in soccer. Yeah. I mean, you can technically trade in the MLS, yeah, why but... Are we, why are we trading all the... Or coming up with all the terms? Just keep them the same. Well, man. I mean, you were just looking up terms on your computer. How did you not get to transfer? <sighs> ah, I, I, that was too far down the list. I wasn't going to go there. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, John Mozeliak seems is going to fulfill his contract according to Bill DeWitt Jr., which means... This offseason, Mo is at the helm. Do you have faith that he can put this team back into a winning window? We'll discuss that next and get to your mic drops and comments on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I have a pretty good resume. I think the, the history of, of, of our decision-making overall has been, been pretty good. I, I, and I think, you know, the, the best way to approach this is, you know, recognize that you do have a problem, admit it, and then try to find a solution. And, you know, we, we understand that. And, and I'm not trying to sit here with you right now and, and try to defend what we did and, and blame other people. I, I, I know that, that we made mistakes and we're going to try to get it right. So that was Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak, who spoke with Martin Kilcoin of Fox 2 last night uh, that aired on Fox 2 following the All-Star game, speaking of the state of this Cardinals team. And that comment was one that a lot of people honed in on, where where John Mozeliak essentially is saying, look, we know that this is a bad season and we are going to address it moving forward. Started off, as you just heard, saying, like, look, track record is why people should believe in me moving forward. But then following it up, knowing that there's a problem with this team and hopefully addressing it. And I use the word hopefully because a lot of people heard what John Mozeliak said yesterday, Tanner, and said, yeah, okay, but we still don't believe you. And that's where our poll question of the day on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN SDL comes in. And that's where we want to hear your mic drops on our 101 ESPN app. Do you have faith in John Mozeliak turning this thing around for a historical bad season? And look, we saw, we had a text earlier when we were discussing it at the top of the show saying, uh, John Mozeliak's still not taking the blame and he's just blaming other people. I didn't hear it that way. The way I heard John Mozeliak speak was the exact same way that I heard Doug Armstrong speak at the trade deadline and when the team was going through their losing streaks last year, stating, look, we didn't think that our team was going to be this bad, but it has been, and there's not much we can do. We're going to address it. We know that this team has issues, and if we don't fix it, well, then it's going to come right back to me. The only difference is Doug Armstrong talked a lot about me, and John Mozeliak used the word us, and maybe that's where people find it and say, oh, well, Mo's blaming other." No, Mo is a part of the us. Mo is a part of the DeWitts. Mo is a part of the front office, the talent evaluation, but that's the number one spot that I sit there and say, yeah, I, I lack the faith that Mo can turn it around. You could give me track record. You could say that this team every year since he's been general manager or president of baseball operations, it's been a contender. But I've never seen them, to your point that you've made, Tanner, go through something like this, and I don't trust that they can have the massive offseason and massive trade deadline that is required to turn this around. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, when they first heard that comment, and I heard the fast lane talking yesterday kind of as a 
preview to this interview that dropped last night after the All-Star game saying the one thing they didn't really want to hear him say was mention his resume. And then, of course, what he said, the first thing that came out of his mouth on that question was, was his track record. But I, I think a lot of people are going to hone in on that and go, oh, what's his track record? Look at the All-Star game. Look how many former Cardinals were in that. Look at the trades he's lost. I, I agree with you. I think you need to look more on the back part of that comment that he said, and I kind of wish you would have led with that this first. No, I, you got you to gotta lead with track record. Uh, well, yeah, well, you know, well, let's, wow. let's, track record? let's change our, change our uh, answer next time. Uh, But I I think this is the part that's most important. I know we made mistakes and we're going to try and fix it. Look, he, he didn't blame anybody. He didn't blame anybody outside the organization. I understand what you're saying. And I like what you said. You know, he didn't say it's on me. It's on us. And I think he's right. A team like this that is was favored to win the National League Central and is now sitting at the bottom and is going to be sellers at the trade deadline. It's not just one person's fault. I mean, there's more, one person can get more of the blame, but it's not one person's fault. It starts at ownership, then trickles down to the front office, then trickles down to the manager, then trickles down to the players on the field. So I, I look at it, and I was glad to hear him come out and say, you know, not not something along the lines of like, you know, we've still got faith in this team. You know, we, we think we're just a piece or two away from turning this around. He said, no, I, I know we made mistakes, and we're going to try and fix it. To me, it was him saying, we've got issues we know what they are, a.k.a. pitching, and we're going to try and address it. We're going to try and get it turned around so that we can fix this for the 2024 season. The question of do you have faith in Mo? I, I think it is a fair kind of – if you say no, I think that is fair based on the recent track record. But I will say this. You don't get to this point in Jamo Zaloc's tenure of this being your first losing season by 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 uh, by coincidence. Mm-hmm. It means that you've been doing things right, and you've been doing them right for a very long time. Now, yes, there have been misses, and yes, they are piling up more in recent memory, but I I don't think when you look at Moe's track record ever since he took over, and this is going to be his first losing season, that it's fair to go, oh, well, see, no, he can't turn this around. It'll be, I I just don't buy that. I I do believe that Moe can get this thing turned around, maybe not to the World Series contender that I know a lot of people want them to be next year. But I think he can get them back into contention next year in terms of competing in the National League Central. Here's the one thing that I will say, and people are going to hear this and think I'm defending John Mozeliak. I'm not. because I think that's what they thought on what I just said. They probably will. But just as much as I can say, do people have faith in John Mozeliak, out of the same side of your mouth, you need to be saying, do you also have faith in the DeWitts that this team can turn it around? Because Mo can only go as far as they're willing to spend. And if they're not willing to fork up the money like John Denton just spoke about of the Cardinals not being willing to give somebody 30, 35, 40 million dollars a year on a contract or go long term. Well, then as much as we can say, well, Mo didn't want to give that contract out. I can also say that the DeWitts had a hand in that. Now, if they don't make trades and stick with the same roster, that's where Mo comes into play. And that's where I lack the faith But I do wonder if, because this is so bad and because you've been hesitant to make trades since the Randy Rosarena, if that changes for you. That's the part that the faith lacks for me. Because this isn't about if they're going to spend money or not, because I can't blame Mo for that. What I can blame is if you've got the Donovans and the Edmonds and the Newparts and the Carlsons and all of these pieces, and then you go to the minor league system where you've got a lot of prospects that people are excited about, and you're not willing to trade those assets to get something... Because I know it's going to suck. It's going to suck if we see Nolan Gorman's name attached into a trade. But if you do that, 
you're doing what Doug Armstrong has done in terms of making big trades and taking chances. And if it doesn't work, I can't blast you for it. But if you don't do it and hold on to the pieces and just say, well, we'll sign certain guys here, that's where I lose the faith in you trying to turn this around. Yeah, and you know, I think that's a fair critique. Yes, this does start with the DeWitts and how they're going to build, what the model is going to look like. And that was what John Denton just told us is they're going to have to look at their model in the offseason. And I think they kind of hinted at that at winter warm-up when they, they came out and blatantly said, yeah, our model is going to be tested. What? Where I'm seeing also critiques is Mosaic, what he does spend money, he doesn't spend it well. Again, another fair critique. But I again, I don't think you get to the spot that Mo has been in where this is your first losing season by accident. I, I think you're a good baseball operations, good GM personnel if, if, if that's the case. So I, I have faith that he's going to be able to kind of turn this around. And you're right. If it is something to where we can look at and go – man, I, I don't understand why they didn't trade for more pitching. I don't understand why they're going into next season with a rookie or two rookies under contract that are they're planning on being in the rotation. Then, yeah, I, I'm really going to blast the front office for that. But I just, for whatever reason, I truly believe that with this being their first losing season, that they are going to have, this is a wake-up call. And the pressure that has been put on them by the fan base is what's going to kind of change their model. I, I'm not saying they're going to go out and spend money like the Mets, but I definitely do think they're going to change their model and that they're going to be more aggressive. And I think you're going to see that from Mosaic, not just in the offseason, but I think at the deadline this year. Let's get to our mic drops on the 101 ESPN app. If you have faith in Mo and company turning this thing around, here's Randy. I don't see him being able to turn it around in one offseason because I don't think you have enough money coming off the books to make the changes you need to make without trading away prospects. And I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, last offseason was the opportunity you had to make those moves to do more of an incentive-based contract with Wayno. You had Molina and other bad contracts coming off the books. Last season was the time you needed to make your move, and uh, they just didn't. So I think you're on a, a two-year plan. I, I, I would disagree with him on that sense to where you got $9 million coming off the books with Paul DeYoung, $17 million coming off with Adam Wainwright, $10 million coming off with Jordan Montgomery, $5 million coming off with Jack Flaherty, and those are just the, the free agents. I'm not even talking about pieces that you could be trading, like a Giovanni Gallegos who's about $4 million, or if you're trading some of these other guys, $2 million, $1 million. You're going to have money to spend. It's just a matter of are you willing to. But he did, Ryan, bring up one interesting comment of, it might take multiple years. And I'm not sure Cardinals fans are going to be willing to accept a retool like Blues fans have. Only because of the person in charge of it. If Doug Armstrong was in John Mozeliak's shoes and running the Cardinals team, if if he was told that this is going to be a two to three year plan, I think people would be on board with it. But people view this as you've got to win right now. And I'm not sure John Mozeliak can do that. Yeah, I, I think there's a chance that this is a two-year turnaround. I, I think that is fair, and I'm really starting to kind of lean towards that. And I think you're right. I, I don't think people are going to really buy into that because it is John Mosellock at the front end trying to lead the Cardinals out of this mess that he created, which I think is a little unfair because the same leeway was just given to Doug Armstrong. So, And Mo has a longer winning track record and what I mean by that is not championships not even record but again not a season below the 500 mark since he took over as the GM so I I think that it's possible this does take two years and I I don't know it's getting tougher for me to decide decide personally how 
critical I will be of the Cardinals if they can't fix it in year one, if, if that makes sense. of this, If they can't acquire an ace like Dylan Cease, and we're going to talk about this here in a little bit, Dylan Cease sounds like he's off the market. He was probably the only ace that was going to be on the market that made sense for the St. Louis Cardinals. So if you can't get him now and you can't get him in the offseason, is it okay to wait an extra year? Or will Cardinals fans say, no, it should have been done this year. You need to fix this and get right back into contention. Yeah, let's hear from Lisa, and then we'll continue that conversation on the other side. Here's Lisa's mic drop. Hey, guys. So I think Mo is going to try to do a really good job. I can't imagine having a stellar career and having it ended like this. So I think he's going to be highly motivated to fix it on his last year. Because he's had he's had a very good career. Why would you want it to end historically bad? So I think, and I think there'll be changes, and I think there'll be changes in that dugout because this sloppy play. If anyone in their right mind thinks sloppy play is going to win ball games, it will not. So yeah, I think I think Mo's going to try to fix it because I think it's too important to his career, and all of us have an ego, including Mo, and he's going to want to get it fixed. So yeah, I think he's going to fix it. Mo have an ego. No, he didn't use the word track record when they asked him why people should have faith in him. But to to Lisa's point, I don't think there's going to be changes in the coaching staff. And we'll discuss that in the one o'clock hour. But for John Mozeliak, he made it very clear that he is punting on the rest of this season and focusing on 2024. But if he is aggressive by August 1st, does the opinion change? And what does that need to look like for the opinion to change? So we'll get to that on the other side with BK and Ferrari. Still take some of your mic drops if you want to send them over 101 ESPN app, or you can comment your or give us your comments on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Continue the conversation on the other side here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So Lisa had a a really interesting mic drop before we hit the uh, commercial break. And uh, you could send us your mic drops via the 101 ESPN app up also up on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. But she said, Mo's got an ego like everybody else, and he's not going to want to put this team in a bad position. And and basically, the DeWitts and Mo said that same thing when they announced his contract extension in the offseason of, look, he wants to see this thing through and leave the team in good hands rather than walk away with it to be in a disaster. And alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario, and the question we're discussing is, do you have faith in Mo turning this thing around? And for those that might have missed it from his interview with Martin Kilcoin on Fox 2, Mo essentially said, look, we're not waving the white flag for the rest of this season because, frankly, they believe that the Central's bad and you could make a run. But he said, any moves that we make prior to August 1st, will be with the mindset of 2024 rather than this season. So you're not buying rentals in Jose Quintana. You're not going out there and getting a John Lester or a Jay Happ. If you're making a move, it's a Jordan Montgomery type of move. And to me, it's probably bigger than a Jordan Montgomery type of move. Somebody who's got more term on his contract. But for Mo to say, basically, we're punting on the rest of this season, although anything can happen, we're focused on 2024 that question then becomes, what do you need to see to buy back into his mindset? Because the trade deadline, to me, is going to be everything. The offseason has its own thing. We talked about it a little bit there, and we were looking more at it according to baseball reference. Like, yeah, they're going to have a little bit more money, but it really comes down to who they're shipping out. If you don't sell off everything that you are required to sell off 
and also try and make some significant moves with roster players in place to unjam this log of of uh, position players, then it's hard to believe that you're looking at 2024. But if you can go out there and if you can gain assets for Flaherty and Montgomery and other pieces, maybe the Hicks and the Helsleys or the Gallegoses, but then also find some type of trade to bring in an asset that you're giving up pieces for, like the Donovans or the Newpars or the Edmonds, then I'm going to start realizing that, hey, he's he's being true to his word in terms of we're focused on 2024, but that has to start by August 1st. Yeah, and I think that when you asked the question to John Denton earlier when we talked to him, you know, what does an ideal trade deadline look like right now for the St. Louis Cardinals or what would make it a success right now? And he said, go out and acquire a controllable arm. And I, I think he's right. I, I think that's where it starts is they've got to find a way to add a starting pitcher that's going to help this team for not just next year, but a couple years after that. Because I think you're right. I can't. I don't think it can be just a Montgomery move where you go out and acquire a guy that's going to be on term just for 2024. Yeah. It's got to be a guy that's on term to like 2025 at minimum. And even then, I would say you probably should be shooting for a guy that's like not even in the arbitration process. If your if your winning window is this this tent this rest of contract for Mo, which would be what another two years, yeah, then it needs to be somebody who's at least under contract for the next two years. Yeah, agreed. So I I think when you look at that, that's that's where it starts. Is it's going to start at the deadline? That's why yesterday when we had the conversation of is this a one off for the St. Louis Cardinals? It won't be if they don't ace the deadline. And I I heard the fast lane talking about this yesterday. And I agree. I This is where it starts. They've got to find a way to add somebody that's going to help them for 2024 while also selling some pieces out the other way in terms of gaining assets, in terms of trading off those UFAs that are pending. Because I don't think there's a free agent on this team that you can look at and go, he's going to be back with us, except maybe Montgomery. But even then, like starting pitching is always valued so highly at the trade yeah, deadline. I was say, I wouldn't. It, it's too good to pass up in terms of just holding on to him. So the deadline is where it's going to start. And... Th- it's going to be where they're going to have to find that starting pitcher of control. And, and when John Denton told us, you know, they may have tipped their hand by drafting so many outfielders, I think that's possible. I think it is possible that they could move on from somebody like a Lars Newbar, maybe a uh, Brendan Donovan or a Tommy Edmond to try and help them acquire that starting pitcher. I think everybody is on the table on the major league team except for Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arnato, and Jordan Walker. There's two different sides of that, too, because that's where the offseason, like you don't see a whole lot of blockbuster trades where you're trading position players for MLB position players. So you could also read their draft and see if they're tipping their hands on the pitcher side of things, too. Maybe they are looking at potentially moving in the offseason a McGreevy or a Graceffo to bring in closer to Major League Baseball talent. Here's the thing. I said it starts with August 1st you got to be ruthless. And by ruthless, I mean Doug Armstrong ruthless. There's no connection with any of these free agents to be even some guys that could be headed to arbitration. If you don't see them a part of your plans for 2024 and beyond, and that's where I get into the Jordan Hickses, the Ryan Helsleys, the Gallegoses, the DeYoungs, the Tyler O'Neills, the Carlsons, the Newpars, then you need to move them. There's none of this, well, Jordan Montgomery, what if we got a shot to bring him back or maybe the qualifying offer? Bleep the qualifying offer. Get assets now in a trade and move on from them so that you can get a clearer picture for the offseason. I think two things that I haven't even mentioned yet that I think Mo kind of tipped his hand on in that interview last night on Fox 2. One, you said you mentioned don't worry about the qualifying offer, and he said any trade is going to focus on 2024. Makes me wonder if when they trade out Montgomery, Jack, Jordan Hicks, anybody that they send out and they're getting pieces in return. 
I think they're going to want pieces that are closer to being major league ready. Maybe not a piece that's major league ready right now, but it's like a guy that just needs maybe a half a season to season in AAA. Yeah. So I, kind of like I think, what Zach Gallon was when he was traded in terms of he's in the minors, he got one more year, and then the next year he was at the major league level. Yeah, I, I think they're going to be looking for that kind of player in return for the pieces that they sell off. Someone that's either close or someone that can be like a 4A player right now, but next year you hope takes that next step to be an everyday major leaguer. And it may not even be a... Uh, just a pitcher that I'm talking about. It could be an outfielder that yeah, we're referring center to. Center fielder. Um, so I, I think that. And then also, too, I think Mo kind of laid out the ground, not the groundwork. I think he kind of was like leaving a little trail of kind of the idea that they are going to be bold this deadline. He made a comment, and I couldn't try, I was trying to decipher it last night because it, it felt very like read between the lines and figure this one out. We are, or uh, excuse me, he said, people adequate bold with spending. And that's not necessarily the case. That right there felt like a, hey, I may make something big happen that you may not like because it's going to yeah. be moving on from a piece that people like, like Nolan Gorman, Lars Newbar. But that is bold. That, that doesn't necessarily mean we had to be bold in spending. I, I think he kind of hinted at we may not go on a massive spending spree. I think they'll spend this offseason to add pitching. I think their bold move may come at this year's deadline or in the offseason where they try to make a bold move for someone that's got control like a Dylan Cease or a Shane If Bieber. you're going to read between the lines on that, basically our 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 biggest moves are going to be via trade rather than free agency. And that's how I viewed that because we're not going to be big spenders. What we're going to be is bold in our moves to bring in a trade to help areas that we feel need it. And then the the money that we spend is going to be secondaries to kind of clean up some of the depth issues that they talked about this upcoming season. You mentioned Dylan Cease's name, and we've all kind of said that that would make sense for the Cardinals to go bold and get him. Well, guess what? He's off the board. So according to uh, John Heyman, which he was the one that reported that Nolan Arenado could get traded and then didn't report that Nolan Arenado could get traded. But for what it's worth, the White Sox, according to Heyman, are opening up for business as a seller, but they plan to seriously consider deals for all but four cornerstone players on their roster, which is Dylan Cease, Andrew Vaughn, Eloy Jimenez, and of course, Luis Robert Jr., their all-star. So if Dylan Cease is off the board, now you're pivoting. And the pivot is going to go to two teams, in my opinion. If you're going for that high-end hope for a starting pitcher, it's Cleveland with Shane Bieber, and it's Seattle with one of their younger pitchers. Those are the pivots. Yeah, I, I'll throw in another team that I, I have okay. some interest in. Boston Red Sox, Chris Sale, huh? No, and he still hurt. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Miami's a team that I would keep an eye on. They've got a and lot Yuri of young— Perez? Yeah, I mean, maybe not even specifically him, but they've got a lot of young, talented pitching— and they could use some offense, and they're going to be buyers at the deadline. I could see where they do the exact same thing that we've been talking about with Seattle. It just hasn't been reported yet, and maybe I'm wrong, too. Maybe they won't end up moving from young pitching because there's no better uh, asset in the major leagues than quality arms. But I wonder if they're a team that would say, you know what, let's go get a bat. And who would know the bats better than Skip Schumacher, a guy that would say, hey, if the Cardinals are looking to move a large new bar for a starting pitcher in Seattle— why don't we part with one of ours and potentially go and get Lars Newbar to add to our outfield? Like I, I think there's a chance Miami is another one of those teams, but I think you're right. I, I think there are very limited pivots now in terms of looking for an ace. Seattle, I don't think you're getting an ace from them. I think you're getting like a number two, number three arm to add in your system that's got more cost control and is younger, but does have some upside to potentially develop into that guy. But if you're looking for like an ace right now, and and people I've seen people argue, you know, we just destroyed Dylan Cease in Chicago. Is he really an ace? 
Maybe not, but he did finish second in Cy Young voting last year. So there's definitely the talent has proven that he can be at that level. Yeah. I, I like those two teams. I don't have names that tie to them, but the Marlins and the Rays are teams you're checking in on, teams that always seem to develop pitching. The problem with that is the Marlins know your players probably just as well, if not better than you do because of Skip Schumacher, and the Tampa Bay Rays kind of bent you over with the trade that you made and gave you a pitcher that you thought was better than what he was. That right there is my worry about evaluation of talent because if you think you're going to get the good guy and then it becomes another Matthew Libertor and then you failed once again. I understand that's fair, but you can't, if you're going to have that concern and if that's the concern of the front office, well, then I'm sorry, but you're not going to be successful because you can't operate scared. It can't be. And it I, can't I be the concern been, of the I front think that's office. been some of the criticism from the front office is since the Arena deal, they've been a little uh, scared to make moves. And I think that's a fair critique against the front office because I think they've waited too long on Dylan Carlson. I think they've waited too long on Tyler O'Neill. Um, some of those outfield pieces that like you could look at and go, okay, are you really going to be willing to move on from that? Or do you want to continue to just see if they could bounce back? But I'm not worried about them being scared. I'm worried about them making the right decision. You've got to make the right call in evaluating the player that you deem winnable I, in the trade. I think they will do a I'm not as worried about that because I I understand what you're saying because you're looking at the Libertor example. We can all agree they did a really good job in finding, and and again, this is a to a different degree of trade, but it was a win nonetheless, and it was at the trade deadline. They won the Quintana deal. It's up for debate if they won the Montgomery deal. Bader's not really been that healthy. Um, so, but I, so I would argue that they've won the Montgomery deal as well at the deadline. They did a really good job of evaluating a couple of years ago, again, rentals in a different circumstance of evaluating what John Lester could be in this rotation, what Jay Happ could be in this rotation. So they've shown that they've done a very good job in terms of finding pitching in season. And I think that can translate to looking for pitching that's in season, but also projecting it forward on guys that are controllable assets that they could be looking to target this deadline. The other concern is like what we've just talked about in terms of not making the decision when you should have made the decision. And it seemed like Mo might have thrown a couple of guys under the bus last night. The question is, who was he throwing under the bus? We'll discuss that next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You got to start back in the offseason. And, you know, there was some opportunities that in hindsight we wish we would have done. Okay, so full honesty. Joe Mazalek said that last night. The first thing I thought of was, oh, my God, they're throwing Wilson Contreras under the bus again. But then it got me thinking even more. And that's what we do when John Mazalek or Doug Armstrong or anybody speaks. You read between the lines on everything. Frankly, it's great content. Who was Mo throwing under the bus there? Because I can come up with a couple of different options. The first one for me was Wilson Contreras. Because, of course, he's saying that following the All-Star game when Sean Murphy has himself one hell of an evening on top of having an already great season. But then you also go to the Tyler O'Neill front where you had a guy in the MVP conversation that you could have pounced on trading, but instead you said, no, he's going to help us win next year, and you kept him. But you could also then go to the pitching side of things. So there were a lot of moments that I thought of when Mo said, in hindsight, when you look back, there's a couple of decisions we wish we would have done that we didn't. 
Who stuck out to you the most, T-Bone? So I, I think when he made those comments, I think he was referring to their lack of adding pitching or even potentially looking at the decision on, I don't know if it's so much of bringing Wayno back or just the money that was given to Wayno. And it could be one of those where like those are entangled together to where you don't get Wayno without paying the price that you did. Uh, so I, I think that's more of what he's looking at. But, I mean, the fact that they benched Contreras from behind the plate early on in the year definitely kind of leads to you to really think about what you said because I'm I'm not going to lie. Like, when I first heard the comment, my first thought was, okay, yeah, he's talking about, like, pitching and what they didn't add. And then when I sat there and I went back through my notes and I'm typing up stuff for our show last night, I'm going, man, that could totally mean it's on Wilson Contreras. And how not so much the decision of signing a catcher, but the decision of, yeah, we should have given up assets to go get Sean Murphy because we might be giving up those one same or two of those same assets else. for starting pitching right now. Right. And the fact that you pulled Contreras behind the plate, not for, I mean, it could have been for offensive struggles too because he was really struggling at the time, but because of his lack of preparedness and his lack of defense, like, yeah, it, 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 just, it just leads you to really think that there was a chance that that comment was towards Wilson Contreras in that signing, which I don't think it was, but the early season kind of situation around Contreras led to that kind of speculation yet last night. And again, tinfoil theory, what was the last impression we have of Wilson Contreras before the All-Star break? (laughs) Misplaced behind the plate. So here's the thing on the pitching front, though, and why I didn't think it was that. Because Wayno was coming back regardless. Like, you could sit there and say maybe he's second-guessing about bringing Wayno back. Wayno was coming back. That was a DeWitt decision because you were chasing something that was going to intrigue a lot of people. It was a farewell tour and, frankly, well-deserved for how Wayno pitched last season. Now, I can hear the argument of wishing we would have got more depth for our pitching, but in that sense, you're not going to be able to bring guys in for sixth or seventh or eighth guys in a rotation because your top five were set up. So that's why I singled out. It was either Wilson Contreras or Tyler O'Neill. And we also heard the comments that he talked about the outfield when it comes to making mistakes for where a Rosarena and Adolis Garcia went other directions because they had their outfield in place and it was Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill. So this absolutely could be him basically stating that Tyler O'Neill did not pan out like we thought it was and we wish we wouldn't have made a trade that we made so that we didn't have to buy into Tyler O'Neill being that option for us. I, I don't even know if I would put it just solely on Tyler O'Neill because I think that's a little unfair. I, I think it is. I think there now is. Now you're defending Tyler O'Neill? No, I mean, he's definitely <laughs> got to be better when he's healthy. And, well, he's just got to get healthy. And healthy, um, yeah. But no, I, I think it's the outfield as a whole because outside of Jordan Walker, do you really feel like they have a everyday guy that you think the front office truly trust? And that's, unt- I think they- that, let me rephrase it, not trust, but is untouchable at the deadline. Uh, no, not untouchable. I think they trusted Lars Nupar more than what he has been for this team. Yeah. But th- there's no. And I was clamoring all offseason that I wasn't convinced that they should be uh, buying in on Lars Nupar going into the year. I think the offseason Lars Nupar was untouchable in the Cardinals' minds because they thought highly of him and other people thought highly of him. But he was the only one, although you have to state Dylan Carlson because Mo essentially doubled down on that at the trade deadline last year. So those would be the views of the untouchables for them. And then you just throw in the third option and figure, well, we know Tyler O'Neill can't be bad than what he's been in the past. So this will be him. So yeah, the mistake may have been the outfield, but here's the other thing. Who are you bringing in on the outfield from that off season? We brought up uh, what's his face from uh, the Toronto blue Jays that was traded to Seattle. Can't remember what his name was. 
Um, he was a corner outfielder. He was traded to the Seattle Mariners. I'll oh, look Gary, it up. Uh, or no, he wasn't to Seattle. To Arizona, Gary L., who was just an all-star. No, not Gary L., somebody else. Um, I'll look it up I, with this I know one. who you're you're referring to, potentially like signing a Kevin Kiermeyer, Andrew Benintendi was the one that I, first came to my mind. Brandon Nemo were options. Teoscar Hernandez, that's the one that I oh, th- okay. that Because yeah. I remember his name being brought up, whether it was us or being connected. So, yeah, I could go down that path and say maybe it was the outfield, but I didn't know if there were really many options for them to fix that, which is why I go back to Wilson Contreras. And I and I think that's what makes this kind of tough. Is It's easy to look at the team now and go, man, they should have added starting pitching. Man, they could have added a bat to this outfield to add more consistency. But like this free agent class has kind of trended towards being just underperforming so far. Like Carlos Rodon has barely pitched for the New York Yankees, dealt with an injury when the season started. Uh, when you look at the outfield names, Andrew Benintendi's not been that great for the Chicago White Sox. So all these names that we kept saying, the Cardinals should go out and they should go get this guy, they should go get that guy, they've been kind of underwhelming. And, and Contreras falls into that. We were clamoring for Wilson Contreras to be a St. Louis Cardinal. They went out and signed him, and he's underperformed so far in the first half for the St. Louis Cardinals. So I, I just think it's one of those to where – I think you're right. I think it's hard to look at the free agent class or maybe even the trademark and say they should have gone and done this because a lot of those moves that other teams made just haven't hit as well so far for them. Yeah, and and really that's him talking about hindsight and making mistakes. That's what can't happen this offseason. There can't be mistakes for you. You can't have what-ifs in any areas. You can have we need this to be But if you're going into the next season by saying, what if these guys don't pan out in the outfield? Or what if these guys don't work in our rotation? Or what if this bullpen doesn't work out? Well, then you're doing the exact same thing. If there's one area that you need to hone in on more than any, it's rotation. If you have any what-ifs or concerns, then you didn't properly address it at the trade deadline in the offseason. And then beyond that, I can understand like on the outfield if you say, well, we really need these guys to pan out. But you probably need to be looking at that and finding ways to make it less of a concern and more of a, we need this to pan out for us. Yeah, you can't go into next year with a ton of what-ifs like they did this year. I I do think there is a um, scenario where you can look at it and say, you know, we feel pretty confident in our roster, but the outfield's kind of a question mark. Let's go into the season, let's see what we have, and if it doesn't work out, we'll go get it at the deadline problem for the Cardinals was they went into this season with so many what-ifs right. to where, okay, can the rotation without swing and miss, what what will it look like as everybody gets older? What can Adam Wainwright get back to being the guy that he was before September collapsed last season? What does this outfield look like? Can Tyler O'Neill bounce back? Can Dylan Carlson bounce back? What about this bullpen? Like There were so many things, and we even talked about them, and I think because we follow the team every day, we kind of convinced ourselves to kind of look away from some of those what ifs and kind of said, Oh, well, yeah, that sure that that'll work out. One of the, not all these can go wrong at the same time. <laughs> Boy, who are we wrong? Yeah. So I, I think they've got to kind of sure up uh, the rotation would be the number one for me is where they got to sure that up. And then if they're going to have question marks around some, some areas of the team, I think that's fine. They just can't go into the next season where it is like a what if everywhere you turn and just hoping that something ends up going right for you because that that's not how you operate. The way to operate is having some of those question marks going into a year, but you can't have so many. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, I had a moment last night of something that went viral on Twitter that brought back some PTSD. We'll discuss that next on our junk drawer segment here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario, BK and Ferrario, as we dive into our junk drawer story today. So the Philadelphia Flyers were trending yesterday on Twitter. Okay, offseason, maybe something got traded. Hey, maybe they decided to trade Travis Anaheim to the Blues. No, they were going viral because a reporter asking a question, a hot mic with PR while a player was being interviewed, and I'll let the audio do the rest. Hey, Garnett. I was just wondering, as um, a veteran with a relatively successful NHL career, what makes the Flyers who are in a rebuild state a destination that was designed? How many times is she going to ask this question? Yeah, there's, a, there's really a lot of things I go into. Um, when I look at it, it's, a, it's an organization that... Okay, so we all know hot mics are just a disaster. And frankly, that could have been much worse than what it was. Oh, I don't know if it gets much worse Oh, it worse could have so got worse, but it didn't. I'm going to take a different side of this, though. I'm not going to sit here and blast the PR team and think it was just dumb. I'm going to take the personal side of this. That right there is why I have PTSD and have had since I was in elementary school of never wanting to ask questions. You know how you did earlier this week, Grant, and say, well, this is probably a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And I fired back and said, yeah, dumb question. That was that was my concern all the time. Great oh school. You are the PR guy. Maybe. No. I'm I glad was... you instilled confidence in me yeah, earlier this week. Thank you, Alex. Here, here's the thing. I, I am that individual who asked the question. But I don't ask the question because I'm worried that there are 18 other people thinking in their head, Jesus, how many times is this kid going to ask this stupid bleeping question? And so I'm always afraid to ask. Now, I've gotten a little bit more confident over the years, and basically I just don't really care anymore. But throughout my time in school, anytime a teacher would like say, okay, any questions after what we've just covered? And nobody would raise their hand. I'm like, well, I'm not going to raise my hand. Absolutely, I have questions, but I'll just wing it and figure it out. Probably why I'm a little bit of a dummy these days. I'm not going to lie. I definitely have some of that of, you know, since I'm just now starting to do more and more interviews. Yeah, like You I interviewed did, Craig Berube at the draft. There's no question you were sitting there Army. thinking. Oh, yeah, Army. There was no question in my mind that you were thinking, I'm not going to ask this question. He's going to think I'm an idiot. I, w- I was so afraid of just, like, tripping and falling when I was walking to the table to talk to Army or dropping my phone <laughs> or calling him the wrong name. Like, oh, I've been was, there. Been there. <laughs> yeah, I was... I was scared to talk to Doug Armstrong because it's the first time I've ever done a one-on-one with someone just individually. I've usually been with like you when we're talking to John Denton or at scrums at baseball games or in the Blues locker room. See, I think scrums are more intimidating than one-on-ones. Because everybody else, there's more people there? Because there's more people there. Everybody else is judging what you're asking. I'll give you a perfect example. When I started covering the Blues for KMOX at the time, I was in the scrums and we'd be at the press conferences and I'd always want to ask questions. But John Kelly, Darren Pang, Kelly Chase, Chris Kerber, freaking Al McKenna, everybody is standing behind me when I'm ready to ask a question, and I don't want them in the back of their mind going, who's this stupid bleeping kid? They never have. They're all incredible people. 
but that's why I have PTSD. Right there. I watched that video last night, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. Now I'm going to go another 10 years without wanting to ask questions because I'm afraid of reactions. Yeah. I. It, to me, I am one of those people that is really, like, uh, lacks self-confidence. To where, like, I leave the show every day, and I'm like, my God, what did you say today? What 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 stupid <laughs> stuff did you say on the air today? Then you just get these great texts from this 314. No one cares, Ferrario. You're a buffoon. Hey, yeah, just, just look at the text line That's for some true. reassurance. It's funny because I'm more worried about what they believe. I could care less what the text line calls me. They call me endless names, but... Yeah, okay, I've cool. I've been called a name from the text line when I didn't even say anything in the segment. I've so, been called <laughs> names on the text line that I've had to Google to figure out what it was. Urban Dictionary had to explain to me what people Oof. have called me. That's never a good thing. No, it's not on the text line, but honestly, I can get it. Yeah, I, I'm one of those that's so self-conscious about anything to where, like, I get nervous when I, like, do a segment and then, like, we go off the air or, like, just in between commercial breaks thinking about, man, what did you really say? Was it was it any good or was someone in their car going, what the bleep's wrong with that guy and why is he employed? And, and I have that exact same thing when we're talking to, like, when we talked to John Denton earlier today, when yeah. we talked uh, with Katie Wu earlier in the week because they're so connected to the Cardinals that it's like, I don't want to ask a question that seems so far out there to where it's like, man, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> Going, I was just going to say, going back to the interviewing thing, this happens at Centene specifically for me because it's so cold there. Oh, yeah. But there's been times where I get so cold to where I'm like kind of shivering. And so going into the locker room, talking to players, sometimes you're holding out your phone, your your hands shaking, and it looks like you're so nervous that you're shaking and you're just cold. I'll never, I'll never forget because Alexander Steen is notorious for like swatting mics out of his face. Yeah. I'll never forget when he used to do it to different people in the blues media. And the first time that I interviewed him one-on-one, I mean, I held him. People can see it on our YouTube channel. I held the mic so far away from his face that he had to stop. And he goes, are you even picking this up with your mic? (laughs) And I looked at him and I go, yeah. And he goes, why are you holding that so far away? I said, I didn't want to get it too close to your face. He's like, oh, no, you're fine. He's like, I just like do it in the media scrubs. Like, oh, okay, cool. But like, that's how this thing goes. But it's always entertaining. And I appreciate the Philadelphia Flyers PR staff for bringing back more PTSD for me. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, we basically got confirmation that Mo is going to fulfill his contract. But we also got confirmation that the coaching staff is going to fulfill at least the contract term of John Mozeliak. We'll discuss that next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I don't think the coaches have any fault in this. Uh, you know, they're handed to players. It's, it's, you know, unfortunately it didn't work. Um, but I think Ollie and his, his group do a really good job. They work really hard and, um, you know, they continue to do that. But it, I think, you know, their level of frustration is probably as real as the fan base. So the real questions that we've been wondering about this Cardinals team moving into the All-Star break and beyond this season is who gets fired? Is it John Mosellock? Is it Ali Marmal? Do they fire somebody on the coaching staff? At least from what we heard yesterday in the Martin Kilcoin interview that he did with John Mosellock on Fox 2, it seems like nobody's getting fired this offseason. Now, maybe things can change depending on how the rest of this season goes, but we have now learned that, from what you just heard there, Ali and his staff seem to be on the way back next season. 
But we also learned that Mo's not just coming back this season, but fulfilling this contract extension. And it wasn't in the interview, but Bill DeWitt Jr. essentially told uh, Martin Kilcoin yesterday, quote, he's got an impressive track record. There's a reason I gave him an extension and fully expect him to fulfill that deal. I fully support him. Nobody's going anywhere, at least for this offseason. That's the part that I wonder, though, if it's the right decision. Because when I heard Martin say what Bill DeWitt Jr. said, I didn't get the same feel that I got when Doug Armstrong backed Craig Berube. And maybe this is track record. Maybe this was Craig Berube's won a Stanley Cup, and Craig Berube has had a lot of success with the roster he's been given, and this was the first bad season. And look, this is the first season of Ollie, and that's about it. But for some reason, it just didn't sit the way with me that it did when Doug Armstrong backed Craig Bruby. And maybe I'm in the minority there, T-Bone. Yeah, no, I, I think Ollie has full support from the front office. And, in fact, I think that comment was even more so to potentially, and we'll see because I think this could change, was even back Dusty Blake as well. Because I think Dusty Blake's drawn a lot of criticism as well as the pitching coach because the pitching's been so bad and it's a lot of the same guys from last year. So I expect both Ollie and I expect to see Dusty Blake back as pitching coach, I think, going into next season. I was more like that one wasn't as much of a surprise to me, the Mo comment, as hearing the and Bill DeWitt wasn't interviewed on and that was aired. It was a comment that Martin Kilquin was able to grab from him on the phone. I was more, I don't want to say surprised, but that was the comment that I was really looking for was to to finally hear somebody say, John Bozalock's job is safe. Because I was kind of questioning it because the last time the Cardinals went through something like this, Walt Jockety was let go and John Bozalock was hired. So I was kind of questioning if because this thing went so far south and there were so many things that that led into this becoming this season for the Cardinals if they were going to try and make a move in the front office. So to hear that both Mo and Ollie are safe right now, it it doesn't really surprise me. But I I don't view the comment towards Ali Marmola as being different than Craig Berube. I I think Mo basically said, look, yeah, this was on me building the roster together. If Ali had the right roster, I think Ali would be doing a, we would be a better ball club. I think that's what Mo was saying. And that's essentially what Doug Armstrong said when he was defending Craig Berube earlier in the year. But you know what the difference is? The area that was bad that coach was addressed. Defense was awful for the Blues last season. And they said, we got to change it. And they got rid of Mike Van Ryan and they brought in Mike Weber. That's the part what you said of it seems like they backed not only Ali Marmal, but the coaching staff. I'm not sure you can do that. Yeah, but I... Because you didn't have the same team I, as I last think year. It's fair, I think it's fair to... Que- I don't know if question's the right word here, but I think it is fair to wonder if... That was just the scapegoat. Like, I don't expect the defense to be better this year. I really don't. I think the blue line, if it was going to be better, it was because they were going to make a personnel change, not a coaching change. I expect it to be improved. I don't know if it's going to be better, but I expect it to improve. And that's I, I just that's where I just disagree. I, I think it's and it's the same conversation with the pitching staff. If if this pitching staff had more swing and miss, I think Dusty Blake would look a lot better. Maybe. I think Ali Marmol would look a lot better. Maybe, and you're going to find Ruby out. Ruby would look a lot better with Travis Sanheim on, on his blue line this year. Same with but, if they had Mike Van Ryan still. But to use the sentiment of it's the same team that they had last season, same roster, that's also not true. They had a different pitching coach last year, and the pitching was better with the same players. You also had a Yadier Molina behind the plate, so that's a different roster. So, yeah, the catcher side of thing is is one aspect of it, but we've talked about this. You do have to look at the coach side of things and wonder okay is that the right move to back it and look 
Dusty Blake could be back next year, and there's no changes on that. It sure seems like they're knuckling down on that. But then it, it it's put on a higher degree of criticism if you bring back if you bring in different players into a rotation and bullpen and it's the same result that's when you start pointing fingers at the message that's being relayed to them i guess the thing that i would say that kind of defends dusty blake if you want to call it that is i think there were kind of what ifs at the front office banked on that they just assumed that would end up going in their direction and what i mean by that is adam wainwright's issue wasn't wasn't a you know father time thing. It was oh he actually was hurt last year, so he'll get back to form. And as we've seen, whether it, maybe it is the injury still, maybe it is that shoulder thing that he's on the IL for now, or if it is just father time caught up to him, that Dusty Blake couldn't fix that. Jack Flaherty returning from an injury, not the same pitcher as he once was because of the injuries. I think that is a true factor into why he has has had a inconsistent season. So, like, right there, I mean, that's two of the five guys that are in this rotation. And Montgomery's been just as good as he was last year. Miles Michaelis, I think by the time the season comes to an end, it's going to look very similar to what he was last year. And then who's the one I'm forgetting in this mix? Uh, Monty. Oh, Stephen Matz. Matz, that one maybe is fair to question of what went wrong there. But now that he's fixed, as of one start returning to the rotation. Fixed. Well, and, we'll, and we'll see. We'll see what it looks like. But if Matt remains a starter all year long, doesn't that give you more confidence in Dusty Blake? The fact that he was able to quote unquote fix Stephen Matz. Like I, I just look at the of what you're what you're saying as the scenario of well, it's some of the same guys and the pitching's been worse. I think some of that was just too high of expectation for some of those guys that the front office put on them. But it shouldn't have been because if you look at what all five of those players did last season, it was all to the point that what we said in the offseason of, well, they can compete with this. I agree, and that's where we're, we're wrong. I, I, I think that's more on the front office, and I think that's what Mo is saying is, we were wrong, don't blame our coaching staff, we gave them a bad roster. And I think that's exactly what Doug Armstrong said when he backed But Craig the pitching Ruby. was the same. You gave him the exact same roster. But it, but it's not. It, it's Adam Wainwright is not Adam Wainwright of he was last year. And Adam Wainwright was a big factor into their success in the early portion of last season until September. And Jack Flaherty wasn't really a part of the conversation last year. And the front office thought, let's gamble on this. What if we think he is going to be that ace? That's why he was number one in our top 20 of most important Cardinals coming into the year. And he's just not been the same, and I think that's because of the injuries. And look, he's pitched better of late. And I, you know why I think part of that is? I think part of that is, is one, he's gaining more confidence, and two, the pitching coach in Dusty Blake and the coaching staff are working with him. It's just hard for me to look at this pitching staff and go, yeah, Dusty Blake is the problem. And I have questioned Dusty Blake. I was on this show a month ago when we did our purge, and I even called out Dusty Blake. But I, I just can't look at him and go, yeah, I think he's the major issue. And I, and I think Mo knows that, and I think that's what he was getting at is it's not on Dusty Blake, it's not on Ollie Marmol, it's on me and the team I put together and it put them in a position to fail. Then you got to significantly improve, improve that roster, and if the issues are still there, then you start pointing fingers elsewhere because you can't keep doing the same thing where, well, the roster's still bad, the roster's still bad, the roster's still bad. Now is the chance for you to pounce, and that's the other side of it of, the DeWitts basically saying, John Mozeliak's fulfilling this contract extension that we gave him because they believe he's the right man for the job. That remains to be seen. You'll start to get answers on that once you get closer to the August 1st 
trade deadline. Uh, Chris Kerb is going to join us in about 15 minutes or so, but coming up next, you send us a scenario, and we will tell you which one is more likely to happen. Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. Also, our YouTube chat on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. More likely to happen next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. PK and Ferrario's more likely to happen. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. That one was for Tanner because Tanner's Thanks, having a down day. Oh, people, people are being aggressive. People are being a little angry. People need to buck up. And I called a word I can't even say on air. Well, that's true. But guess what, buddy? We get called those every day on our text line, which you can send us your more likely to happen scenarios at 314-399-9646. Also, you can post your more likely to happens on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Just click on that BK and Ferrario live stream link and join us up until 2 o'clock. Let's start with this one. More likely to happen, Tanner agrees that he does not like hot dogs or Tanner agrees that he does like seltzers. Well, I would never give up hot dogs. So, so you like seltzers? No. Man, I had myself More a likely nice... More likely it would never happen. I had myself a nice seltzer last night when the girls <laughs> went to bed sitting in my pool. Oh, it felt good. I'm with Tanner. It's like liquid TV static. You know, you... <laughs> what it tastes like. <laughs> if you could... That was so specific. That's, I've always said that. Like, if you could... If you could compare like visual to taste, that's what it would feel like. <laughs> never. I, I haven't either. That was so specific. Oh my god, that was phenomenal. I'm gonna say it's more likely that he'll claim that hot dogs are disgusting. No. Yeah. Never. I'm afraid I'm having brats for dinner. That's not a hot dog. Yeah. That's a brat. Eh, Those are better. Whatever. Those are so much better. More likely to happen from the 314 Cardinals trade Lars Newbar or Brendan Donovan. Um I'll go with I'll go with Oh man, this is tough. I'm gonna go Lars Newbar, I think. Because I think he holds more value. And I think they're going to make a bold decision at the deadline and acquire a controllable starting pitcher. So I'll say Lars Newbar. It could end up being Brendan Donovan. But I, I think Newbar's the one that holds more value out of those two. And they decided to make that move. My only fear of saying that is I don't know what the hell the outfield looks like then going into <laughs> next year. But that's also the thing like with the outfield being as troubling as it has been this season if you want to kind of retool it one of the ways would be to move Lars Newtbar whether he's been terrible or not which I don't think he's been that bad but that's one of the ways to do it if you want to move around your outfield then you move one of your outfielders I'm going to say it's more likely that Brendan Donovan gets traded because I think he's going to bring you back the most in return because of the control and because of how useful he is in every position and because he gets on base I think Brendan Donovan is going to be the most intriguing piece if you're trying to acquire something substantial in the pitching side of things. And because of what you said where he plays every position, that's why I think he is so highly valued. And what's what I what I'm curious to know about Newpar is if he still viewed the way he was in the offseason. Because we mentioned it earlier in the show how he was someone that would have potentially gone in a Sean Murphy trade. And why was that? Well, it's because he hits the ball really hard and he gets on base. But he's not really slugging this year. So I, I'm fascinated to know if some people still view 
Lars Newbar as a everyday outfielder, not just in the Cardinals organization, but outside of the Cardinals organization. From the 314, more likely to happen the Blues improve on defense or the Cardinals improve via pitching in their next season. So well, this is not via trade. This is they're improving from pers- what they were the previous season. Yeah. Oh, it, this is easy for me. I think it is the, the Cardinals pitching. I'm with you. I, I think they're going to make them. You and, and both haters. I, it's because, one, I think. It can't get much it, worse. It, you're darn tootin' it can't. That's why the Blues are going to improve. Eh. The, the pitching's going to be tough. The Cardinals can will add to their rotation. Like That is a known. They're going to be bringing in new pitchers and trying to retool this thing on the fly. And I think they're going to make it. I think it's going to be better, mostly because it's harder to make it worse. With the Blues, like, whether if you're going to say the Blues couldn't do anything because they didn't have the cap space to do it and the no trade clause got in the way of everything, like it's the same group. I don't see it really changing all that much. And I just said in the last segment, I don't see it changing because they brought in a new coach. I think the defense is what the defense is. I think the pitching, there's a more likely chance the Cardinals can improve it because they've got more open roster spots going into the offseason to make those improvements. Yeah, that's the thing for me. Like, there, It's definitely going to be different. You've got two starters right now going into next season, so over half of your rotation is going to be different going into next season. So you got to hope that it would be better if you're looking at what's happened this season for the Blues. Even if you are able to figure it out and move one defenseman this season, it's only one defenseman that's going to be different on the team. So that's why I'm saying it's going to be the Cardinals, just because there's going to be so many changes next season. I think both of you are haters, and I'm saying it's the Blues. I think you're a homer. Probably. Rights holder, apparently, from what people believe. I get paid by the Blues, which is not true. Can we do this one from the 618? This one's interesting. No. Fine. What's, What's the name on this show? Uh, according to the text line, T-Bone talks too much. So. <laughs> what was it, T-Bone? From the 618, more likely to happen, Wayno wins 200 or Cardinals lose 100 games? Oh, Wayno wins 200. There's no... I guess I can't say there's no way they lose 100 games, but you got... I mean, you've got to be just as bad, if not worse, in the second half than what you were in the first half to lose 100 games. I think they're on pace to lose like 94, something like that. 94 to 96, somewhere uh, in that range. Uh, uh, both seem very tough, but I can see situations where Wayno figures it out for two more wins compared to the Cardinals being that bad the rest of the way. I totally agree. I really think the first half of the season is as bad as it gets, and I don't think it's going to sustain that badly over the course of the second half. I don't think it's going to be to the point where they're going to be competitive again towards the playoffs, but I don't think it's going to be that bad for the rest of the season. And I do see Adam Wainwright figuring it out to some degree where he can at least scrape two wins together down the stretch. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with both of you. I, I think it is more likely Wayno can get to 200 because he's just two away. And though the Cardinals are flawed and they are potentially going to be getting worse at the deadline by selling off pieces, I think the offense is too good to allow them to be a 100-loss team. I think 100-loss teams are bad offensively and they have bad pitching. As we've seen, the Cardinals offense can win them games. So I, I just don't think they're a 100-loss team. I think 95 to 96 is about where I would put their loss. Let's get to Mike's on our YouTube channel chat. More likely to happen. The cards promote Mason win and let him get playing time the rest of the season, or they add a veteran shortstop via the trade deadline. Oh, definitely more likely that 
they would call up Mason. Yeah, Wayne. I don't see any scenario where they would make a trade for another shortstop. If anything, they're going to give all the playing time to Paul DeYoung. Yeah. Well, and if that's going to happen and you bring in a veteran shortstop, yeah. you're going to have to sign him to a one-year deal, you'd think, and that's going to make the AAV go way up, which we know how they feel about spending money. So they love yeah, it. I highly doubt they that. They love it. Uh, but no, yeah, I think it's definitely more likely they would call up Mason Wynn yeah. because it would be what we talked about yesterday. It's time for evaluation. So see how ready he truly is. He may really struggle. And then you know, okay, well, here's what he's got to work on going into the offseason. Or here's what he needs to work on next year at AAA. But I think if they were to, if they had a spot open, like they are able to move Paul DeYoung at the deadline, I don't think they're bringing in a short, a veteran shortstop to fill that. I think they would give it to Mason Wynn. Uh, so they got, what is it, 62 more games, 72 more games the rest of the season? Over, under, let's put it at... 25 games that Mason Wynn plays at the big league level by the end of the season. See, I would lean towards the side of under. I don't know if they're going to trade and stick with Paul DeYoung. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to trade Paul DeYoung. I know Paul DeYoung's become and look fair because I was very critical of Paul DeYoung the last like two years. I don't know if they're going to move Paul DeYoung. And I I don't know if it's about value as much as it is. They want to take their time with Mason Wynn. And if you don't think Wynn is ready, which I'm not convinced he is, you can keep Paul DeYoung on the roster, and you can actually even pick up one of his club options and then have him there to fill that spot until Wynn is ready. I also think that if they were to call up Mason Wynn, that would be them saying that this season is over. Let's just look towards next season. Yeah. And as we heard, we're not waving the white flag. So yeah, that means for the next 15 games, by the way, phenomenal Mo. Oh, thanks. I've been working on it. <laughs> you hear enough of them mm-hmm. in I, that sense of and it. And I actually think, like, Though, when I mean, like, we agree they're going to sell, right? All of us agree with that. I mean, that's waving the white flag as much as they're not going to say that publicly just because it just looks bad PR-wise. That would be waving the white flag. But if you called it Mason Wynn, like, even though you've waved the white yeah, flag, it would be excitement. exciting. Well, I mean, it would be fun oh, to yeah. watch. If you don't Jordan trade Walker, Herrera, you're going to play Herrera a lot. There's another piece of excitement yeah. for him. And if you call up a pitcher, which I don't know if they would call it McGreevy or not, but, like, you could call up some of your top prospects, and though you're out of it, it's still exciting to go watch Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, whoever else they may decide to call up. Like, there would still be some excitement around the team. I like this one. More likely to happen from the 3 1 4. More likely to happen, Kevin Hayes scores 20 goals or Tori Krug surpasses 50 points this season? I think I'm going to go. Corey Krug surpassing 50 points. This is also given the fact that both of them stay healthy, you know, throughout the season. Cause I'm not that negative, Grant. Listen, I'm just going off of what's happened the past couple of seasons and specifically last year with Tory Krug. You know what they say? The older you get, the more durable you are. Sure. Um, yeah, I feel that for sure. <laughs> for Krug, with him being on the power play, if he's able to play a lot of games this upcoming season, like the offensive side of the puck is not where I'm concerned about his game. That's where he flourishes. So defensively, yes, I have concerns, but getting 50 points, I don't see that as something too crazy for him. I'd actually probably lean on the side of Kevin Hayes, and it's not so much that I'm like down on Torrey Krug being able to put up offensive numbers. I, I think Kevin Hayes was brought in to be a goal scorer up the middle playing on the second or third line, and I think he's a guy that could get to 20 goals. I Crew getting to 50 points is going to rely on the power play, and I'm just not sure how much better the power play got this offseason. I think Hayes kind of helps it, but I don't think they added that kind of one-time shot that they really needed. Maybe Vron ends up being that guy and puts up a ton of points and is playing on that top unit, but 
I'm just not convinced the power play is going to be significantly better, and I think that's what would have to happen for him to get to 50 points. I actually am going to go with the Kevin Hayes one also, just because I'm not sure how much power play time Tory Krug gets if Scott Perunovic stays healthy. No, I didn't if that think of dips, that too. Perunovic might be on your number one unit, and Krug might be playing two minutes, and that's not going to help. And Kevin Hayes is going to probably be your second-line center because they're going to want to take some of the workload off of Braden Shen so he's not playing 18, 19 minutes a night. And if that's the case, you're talking about a six foot five guy who's going to be playing on the power play, probably a little bit of penalty kill time and second line minutes playing with guys like Verana and Kapanen. I could see him getting to 20 goals. So that's going to be the one that I'd say is more likely to happen. Uh, let's take a break. We got Chris Kerber on the other side. Tanner Hendrickson, who talks way too much. Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Chris Kerber, voice of the blues, will come on next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Uh, we get our chance to welcome back the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. You've been hearing him the last couple of days and got him the rest of the week filling in for Tim McKernan on the balloon party. But it's my first chance to welcome him back to BK and Ferrario fresh off of his trip from Italy. Curbs, how are you? Alex, I'm doing great. Having a great day today. How are you guys? We are doing fantastic, and it got even better when we heard the news that Oscar Sundquist re-upped with the St. Louis Blues. Curbs, I talked about it earlier in the show that the main takeaway with Sonny signing with St. Louis was bringing in the one thing that Doug Armstrong talked a lot about that the team lacked last year, and that's maturity. You've added that with Sonny and with Kevin Hayes. Well, they've added that, but Doug Armstrong knows something very easy, and, and, and that is that you you do your young players a service by giving them a chance to win and know what it's like to win and, and to have a, a positive attitude, uh, you know, around a situation of a rebuild. And so we, we saw him do it in his early days when he brought in Jason Arnott, Jamie Langenbrunner, and, and those guys. And, and that's really what he's doing now. Oscar was surprised he didn't get a better deal. Uh, there was really no demand for him. He, uh, he loved it here in St. Louis. He's dating a girl from St. Louis, so it all worked out well for him from that standpoint. Uh, and then it ends up being a benefit for the blues as well. So it's a signing that makes a lot of sense. Curbs, speaking of both these guys, how do you think they're going to end up helping with the blues and their special teams? Last year, blues finished 22nd in power play percentage and they were third worst in the PK percentage. And you had in Hayes who had 16 power play points last year and Sonny, who's a pretty good penalty killer. Yeah. You know what? I'm not even worried so much on the power play side of it. Tanner, to be honest with you, as I am on the penalty kill, and you, you're absolutely right there. Craig Berube talked to us this morning about the, the penalty kill and how important that penalty kill was to him and, and, and to this team and what they need to improve on there. And, and I think with that being the case, um, with, with it being, that being the case, you're looking at a situation where, uh, you know, the addition of Sunquist, you know you get a conscientious penalty killer. Uh, a big body haze that can win you face-offs, which is critical on the, on the penalty kill. So you put all that together, you put all that together, and it's a um, uh, uh, and, and it's important for the special teams. So uh, good situation, I think, all in all for the Blues in that signing. Uh, Curbs, you mentioned your chat with Craig Berube earlier today, and people that missed it can go check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. But he did have a quote to you that you were talking with us uh, during commercial break, uh, mentioning analytics and how it comes to hockey and his coaching style. What stuck out to you about his comments? Well, I, I, listen, I think the important part, and I asked him that because of the topic I was talking about when it came to the Cardinals. I just, 
and I mentioned this to you guys as we were changing over shows, like, I just believe that analytics plays a role, but it could also become a detriment. And when you rely on it too much for your decision-making, you end up in sports seeing mistakes. And the reason is, is sports aren't played by calculators. Sports are played by people. And so how you adjust in a game, a number, an analytic, a percentage may tell you a certain thing, but what you're seeing, the confidence of a player, maybe they got a little something extra on their pitch. Maybe they've got a little something extra in their skating on that day. That, that's how you win games. And Craig Berube's response was basically like, no, you, you, you coach with your head and you coach with your gut. And to me, and, and what he said is, look, they play a role, and they're very important, and the Blues use them. But in certain situations, you just have to make decisions, you know, that, that you have based on what you're seeing. I think we've seen far too many games and times um, with this, you know, with, with, with John Mosellock and Ali Marmol where statistics and percentages – don't play out because remember you might have a 65% chance of doing something right, but that means there's a 35% chance it goes the other way. Right. And, and that's, that's more of the topic. So when Craig Berube, he gave us a good idea of how you mix them both in and why it's important, but really trusting your gut and, and in the moment, knowing where the player is, what you're seeing and being able to do that is critical to coaching and frankly, critical to winning coaching. Curbs on that topic. We got asked a question yesterday that I found interesting asking how would the Cardinals look different if Doug Armstrong was running it or a Doug Armstrong type individual was running it rather than John Mosaic? And you've seen a lot of Doug Armstrong over the years running this organization. Do you think that there would be anything different if Doug Armstrong was running it? You know, the, the, the interesting part of that is uh, like, if you look at both, both, you know, presidents of hockey operations, you're, you're looking at a situation where, uh, you know, they both have errors. You know, the Blues traded away Ben Bishop. Um, I, I still think, even though I know I know that it, that huge goal scored by Troy Brower was critically important, I don't know. You still want that Oshie trade back? You know, there are, there are still some situations. The difference in the two right now is if you look back at the ten years of Doug Armstrong and look back at John Mozeliak, John Mozeliak has more misses than Doug Armstrong does. Uh, in, in terms of key prospects coming up, uh, misjudging them and then letting them get away. Doug Armstrong doesn't really have any that quote-unquote got away. There was a purpose and a reason for the trade. Um, and and so, so that's the difference now. You're evaluating two different kinds of things. To me, the Cardinals probably would have been in a rebuild situation a year or two earlier had they been under Doug Armstrong because Doug is kind of cutthroat that way, um, you know, in and, and that situation there. So, you know, those two guys know each other. There's, there's personalities there. And look, I, I just think when I, when I look at, when I look at kind of the Cardinal situation guys, and I know there's a lot of heat going on John Mosellock, I have enough belief that this guy could turn things around there. I think they put too much in the stock of spreadsheets and analytics and, and base too much on that. And I think they've got to get back to sub, a bigger balance like we were talking about. And I'll tell you something right now. Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube do not always see eye to eye. They do not always get along. As a matter of fact, they will disagree greatly sometimes about who should start a net, uh, who should be on a penalty kill, who should be taking a face-off in a situation. But the one thing that Doug Armstrong's adamant about is Craig Berube's the coach of the team. And when he makes a decision, he's the one that has to make the decision, and then he lives and dies with the, with, with the positive and the negative of it. So um, that's the one thing I liked about Mike Schultz is if there is a disagreement, I think disagreement can be healthy. So that's that's the difference for me. I, I think you need a little more disagreement and a little more uh, back and forth on the Cardinals side like you do have with the Blues. 
Curbs, I want to go back to your conversation with Craig Berube this morning, and I, I thought he made an interesting comment. You had asked him about the Blues defense and the Blues forwards getting back to help them defensively, and, and I thought Craig's, Craig's comment was interesting where he said, look, for our defense to kind of have a bounce back, it's not just going to be on the blue line. It's going to be the forwards coming back and helping them. No, that's exactly right. It's got to be the forwards. Look, th- there's a couple of plays that, that, that are just so obvious that were uh, basically an image of what this ha- what this was. Jordan Cairo would take the puck over the blue line. And instead of dumping it in when he's supposed, believe it or not, that, that dumping is sometimes could be considered a defensive play. Instead of, because he had no support, nowhere else to go, instead of putting it to the corner where maybe another forward can get in on the forecheck and bang for it and you hold the team in the offensive zone, right? He'd turn it over. Well, the foot defense are sometimes going to the bench because they think it's time for a change. Their other forwards are about to dig into the corner because they think that's where the puck goes. You turn the puck over there, next thing you know, the other team is coming back your way. Well, the other team comes back your way, and you, now the forwards are chasing, and nobody's in a solid defensive place to, to defend the, the entry of the other team. Now the defense have to cover too much, and maybe somebody gets open in the slot for a shot, things like that. It's smart play from the forwards that really help the defense out. Curbs, final question, and we appreciate you hopping on with us. Uh, first time that I'm getting the chance to talk to you since the draft and since prospect camp, and I know you were in Italy, so missed a lot of that, but have you heard anything from others around the Blues organization about the players that they selected slash prospects and the growth that they've gone through this uh, offseason so far? Well, look, I think they're really excited about uh, I think they're really excited about Dvorsky. Um, I talked to some people that really like what uh, what he brings to the table. Obviously, they're more excited about where exactly um, Bull Duke and Dean are right now. But the one thing that came out from uh, several people that I talked to that is really important is they were talking about character. And uh, so a couple of the Swedes that they drafted in the first round, things like that, the, the character of the players and, and the character of the of these young guys is something that's really big. And I think that that was something that the blues really lacked a little bit last year. I think they lacked some character. They lacked some grit and determination. And when I hear people talking about the fact that they're bringing in players where that's one of their qualities, then I get really excited. So to me, you know, Alex, I don't get overly excited about prospects because you never know how long it could take for them to get to you. Right. And how they can impact things. But I am excited about the, the, the quality of the character and the hockey IQ that was talked about from those guys. And Craig Berube said it again this morning. He says the Blues have a really good crop of forwards coming, and he's really excited about it. That's good to hear. Curbs, what can people expect for the rest of the week on the balloon party with you? We've got Jake Neighbors tomorrow. We've got Tim Taylor talking more about those prospects on Friday. And We'll get a lot more into the blues, and I'll probably end up off the rails at some point. That's how it always goes. Just don't sign me up for any more goat emails, please, Curbs. <laughs> Yardgoats.com. <laughs> Curbs, always appreciate the time, my man. Happy to have you back here uh, in the United States, and we'll see you and hear you tomorrow on the Balloon Party. All right, Alex. Thanks. There you go. Chris Kerber, Voice of the Blues, with us on BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's rewind it and give you your chance to win Cardinals Bud Bash tickets on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs.
is your opportunity to win Cardinals Bud Bash tickets. 101, we've got your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash Cardinals and Marlins. And it features a limited edition Brad Thompson bobblehead. So to win, if you're texter 101 and can tell me what NHL team went viral yesterday and brought back some PTSD for me back when I was a kid, your texter 101 and can name that team the 314-399-9646. You will win the Budweiser Bash tickets for Cardinals and Marlins. And, of course, that limited edition Brad Thompson bobblehead. You can get all the details on this season series of Budweiser Bash Cardinals games now over at cardinals.com slash promotions. Let's wrap it up where we started. And, of course, it's the topic of the day. John Mosellock's comments yesterday to Martin Kilcoin on Fox 2 talking about this team at the midway point and what to expect the rest of the season. And our poll question up on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL uh, that you can vote on that right now is at 74% in favor of no, says that they do not have faith in John Mosellock being able to turn things around for the Cardinals uh, in fulfilling this contract for him. Regardless if you believe, which a lot of our voters believe it's not possible, or if you do believe in John Mosellock, like Chris Kerber just mentioned with us, the issue is going to come down to are they willing to change the philosophy? Because if you're not, if you're not willing to open up DeWallet a little bit more, if you're not willing to trade players like Gorman or Donovan or Newtbar or Mason Wynn or some of these pitching prospects, then you're going to be right back to where you are in the next season, hoping that certain guys can live up to expectations. And frankly, you can't afford to do that for the next couple of years. Yeah, and it all starts at the trade deadline when you get to that point in terms of trying to retool this thing on the fly. And and Bo knows that. I mean, he said yesterday in that interview, you know, um, we have a problem and we we know it and we know we've got to fix it. So I, I think when you look at the Cardinals, I, I expect them to be somewhat aggressive at the trade deadline because that's where it starts if you're going to retool this. It, it, if they can make an aggressive move at the deadline and acquire a pitcher that's cost controllable beyond this season and into probably like 25, 26, I would say then that's a good start because they're not going to be able to fix this all at a deadline by acquiring assets. They may not even be able to fix it in, in one off season. but you start the groundwork here at the MLB trade deadline by selling off some of your top pieces, going out and trying to find and acquire a arm that you think has a high upside play for you that's under control, and then you can go into the offseason and start to build the building blocks from there. Yeah, If you believe that you can turn this around, which I don't know why John like wouldn't believe that, you can't make it a retool. Because the statement that he made sure as heck made it seem like that there's no retooling with this. You've got a winning window with Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, and you need to capitalize on it. And frankly, it comes down to the starting pitching. He talked about making mistakes. He talked about looking back. Maybe they should have chased more depth pieces in terms of their pitching, which has really plagued them this season. Those are the areas that you go into this trade deadline and say, we have to attack it. And by attacking it, you gain as many assets as possible via trade of getting rid of pieces like Flaherty and Montgomery. And look, I understand these guys aren't going to be top 10 prospects and systems. They might be lower level players, but there are stories after stories after stories of teams that acquire pitchers that might not be high on a lot of people's prospect lists that turn out to be something of substance. You gain a lot of those pieces via unloading guys that aren't going to be here beyond the season. 
That's how you fast-track this trade deadline. That's how you fast-track 2024, rather than just saying, well, we'll trade a couple of guys here and then we'll attack it via free agency. Because you know what happens then? All of the guys you're trying to sign are gone, and you're in a competition, and the trades you're trying to make, maybe they're not as ideal as they were at the trade deadline. So you can't be afraid to make an aggressive move. Yeah, and and I think when they sell off some of these pieces, I think they're looking for talent that is close to the big leagues. And it may not even be... A pitcher, it could be a infielder or it could be an outfielder, depending on what they view as a area of need. But I, I think their intentions is when they're selling off pieces this trade deadline, like Monty, Jack, Jordan Hicks, which I expect them they're going to be moving those guys. I think they're going to be looking for guys that are pretty close, if not a year away. Because when Mo said um, his comment was, you know, we're not giving up on this season, but any trade we make is with the idea of 2024. If you if you are selling a piece and almost that comment makes you think they're not just looking for low level prospects with high upside. Yeah. They're looking for guys that are close to the big leagues that they believe have upside that they can either develop that or that that upside's already baked in and they'll just see how it ha- if he can develop into that player at the big league level. There's a couple of areas that I'm going to be really interested with the last 80 plus games, 70 plus games of the season. Steven Matz, how he looks because that's going to impact 2024's rotation. Um playing time for the outfield because does Tyler O'Neill come back or does he just stay in Memphis until you trade him? Is he getting playing time or is it just going to strictly be Carlson, Newt Barr, and Jordan Walker? And then also, who gets these opportunities? Because that's what this is all about. Does Zach Thompson get used a little bit more? Does Matthew Levator get used a little bit more? Does Mason Wynn get the chance? Does Yvonne Herrera? To me, the framework of 2024 starts on Friday. And you have to know by August 1st, okay, who's in this bubble? Because anybody outside of that bubble for us for 2024, they need to be elsewhere so we can give opportunities to internal options that can figure that out. Yeah, I agree with you 100% there. And that's where it's going to be interesting to see is who do they view. And maybe it isn't even just we think they can help us in 2024, but also the conversation of can they help us by being a part of a trade package yeah. too. And that's where it's going to be interesting to see because I, I think guys like Nupar, Nolan Gorman, guys that you probably don't want to see traded and don't think, well, if they're selling, they shouldn't be selling off these guys. It wouldn't be selling. It'd be using them at the peak of their value or close to the peak of their value and trying to gain something back in return that can really help you. He's Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrari. If you missed anything from today's show, our interview with John Denton, the Cardinals conversations that we had, check it out on our podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We'll be back with you tomorrow at 11. The Fast Lane coming up next from 2 to 6 here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.